0: Well, I'm in an yeah. apartment. It's a shared laundry machine. If if everyone.
1: Oh, true, true. So, so like, if everyone it's... tried to record a podcast, yeah, they they'll get the really laundry? mad. Okay, so you're, I'll
0: you're go through this in. quick. Five minutes. What's up, Polo people? Welcome to another edition of the Northside Polo Podcast. I'm Gavin here with my friends and teammates. We'll start off with Liam this time. Hello. And then we got Alex.
1: Yo, I can't oh. hear you. Where are you?
0: Oh, Zillman <laughs> Grill.
1: Oh, I'm at the Domino's.
0: Ah, uh, the combination Zillman Grill and Domino. Anyways, you yeah. know, that's new inside baseball. Um, check out Clout Game. They just released their debut album on Spotify, Clout Game. It came
2: out like a month ago. Yeah, that's just released we in should've. the histories of mankind. Yo, where are you at? We should have uh... mentioned it right when it came out. Sorry, Clout, Clout Game. Game. What about Sorry. our other news? Let's move this along. News. What we got? Well, um, I heard that they might be changing like a rule or something. I don't know. I don't think it's really that important. But uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I think some people were writing about it online. I don't know. What do you? Did you guys hear about this? The internet has exploded. <laughs> Gavin's not even, he's just stone-faced. He's like, uh, I I don't know what to say. Yeah, so
0: (laughs) NAH put out their proposed rules changes. It's quite the document. It's so long, in fact, that we had to have Joe Rustamon to talk about it this week. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Just you be patient and you'll hear all about the new rule changes that are being proposed. Well,
1: almost all about them. There's, in fact, so many that we didn't even get to all of them in our extremely long discussion, which... You know, could you could say that's a sign that it, there's too many rules at once? But oh,
0: stop! Not enough, I'd say. Oh, I can think of a few changes I'd want to make too.
1: I was gonna try to quickly recap all the rules that are being changed, but it's you can't. Like it, it's a 17-page document that Joe put out.
2: But if you haven't already, you should read it on the nah website nahhardcore It's the latest post. It lays out the framework for voting on the proposed changes and what the like, or sorry, with the proposed changes that will be voted on, and then there's the ones that will not be voted on. It's all there.
1: Yeah. And if you're new to the, like, competitive bike polo, like, bike polo internet, our little corner of the internet, every couple years, some bullshit happens, and (laughs) the internet just explodes. Like, this is always what happens in polo. It's like, and I say bullshit, because sometimes it's like nothing, like nothing happens. And then everyone starts talking about something or something very serious happens, and everyone talks about it. But Basically, I feel like bike polo social media goes from zero to 100 very, very fast. And for the first time in the last like two or three years, uh, it's blown up everywhere. And people have been memeing like crazy.
2: Well, I think it's like any other sports, really. Like, I don't know, like, I think NFL or any of the bigger leagues. It's just that in polo, everybody knows each other. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like some person, you know, it's like, I don't know who, you know, I don't know personally, Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski or whoever, but I know, you know, the other players. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's kind of
0: interesting that way. Something else that happened since we last recorded an episode, Rumble by the River went off and it had a hitch, but it's what happened really well. Well, we got like this mega storm rolled through Ontario <laughs> and Quebec, I guess, because that's where we were. And just like, Trees had fallen down all across the city. Ottawa, the schools were closed for four days because so many trees had damaged schools and power lines that there was no power in most of the schools. People yeah, were seriously injured. It was wild. My parents' cars got totaled by a tree. Anyway, so oh, we, were all camping <laughs> and we were all camping in the middle of this, and uh, it was quite the few moments. It was about half an hour of just wild wind, intense getting blown across the field. Yeah.
1: I threw I threw Gavin's spare bike in my tent. Robert Wood and I were at the campsite. Looked up across the river, saw this just wall of storm coming in, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and I threw Gavin's bike in my tent so it wouldn't blow away. The tent poles snapped, and it still blew like fifty meters away.
2: <laughs> with a bike, with a bike, bike in? inside, with a bike oh, inside it. Oh my god! Yeah, I I'm I mean I'm kind of like glad I didn't I missed it, but I'm also like, damn, that would have been quite they they opened the
1: community center for us as an emergency shelter
2: yeah uh, which
1: was incredibly appreciated um jason farthing from florida was there and he looked up and he was like oh y'all get tropical storms here too
0: (laughs) (laughs) i guess so yeah it was crazy i don't think i've ever seen a storm like that in ottawa (laughs) but what i gotta say is that everyone in the community at rome by the river that was there for the tournament kind of like we had to share food we had to share Dry clothes because the power was out in the town. We all had to really pull it together to make the tournament run on time because we didn't have lights anymore at the court because the power was out. <laughs> so everyone pulled together and worked together and the tournament like ended in a huge success. I thought we got all the games in, some really fast-paced games. No one, I think, went hungry or yeah. had to like sit around in wet clothes for too long. It was actually <laughs> yeah. awesome.
1: God blessed the poutine truck that had its own generator. That just kept us fed. Oh, it was nice. like the only the only thing in hours drive in any direction that was still making food, and <laughs> there was a poutine truck there that kept our our bellies full. So it was that wild. was good.
2: Shout out poutine. I had a, I had a, I had this image of just Gavin being on the court as everyone's like running for cover. And Gavin's like, all right, let's go next game. <laughs> and like, he's just out there, and this is a fucking like, yeah, hurricane. And he's like, all right, you get five minutes. If you're not here you for it. <laughs> it. Pretty then,
3: much.
0: Uh, we really yeah. took a short break, and then we got back to it like an hour and a half later. Yeah, like,
3: yeah,
1: let's go. It, it was kind of crazy. Like, you know, we get the emergency warning systems here in Canada. Like if there's a storm like that comes in or really any major thunderstorm, you get texts being like emergency systems and things. And it was cool seeing all the people that are that were visiting being like, holy shit, you get these emergency systems. That's awesome. But then all of us kind of dismissed it because we're used to getting these texts for like normal thunderstorms. And this yeah. was not a normal thunderstorm. This was like so well, much kind
2: of, worse. Uh, they kind of it's, it's a real boy cried wolf scenario. because yeah. Now we're so desensitized to it. Um, I mean, they did anyway. text
0: me. I think on three separate occasions, yeah, <laughs> which is a little more than normal. I was like, "Whoa, this is weird." My phone keeps going off. You get it but in anyways,
2: both languages. Yeah. We're getting off topic with no the one intricacies got... of the early warning system. No yeah. polo
1: players got hurt. No one got but hurt. But Mitch drove. uh The Iwanishans came by and said hi, which was awesome because I haven't seen them in forever. But they said there were something like thirty-five telephone poles down on the highway coming in, and Ooh. it's only like. A 15 minute drive outside of Ottawa. So that gives you an idea of the carnage the storm wreaked on the.
0: Pretty the wild area. stuff. We also have some uh, team lists that are posted online canada ones so we got the canadian nationals that's the great plains qualifier out in calgary that team list is posted it looks pretty do, spicy do we
1: know anyone playing in that tournament gavin
0: uh i think we're all playing in that tournament all Alex. of
1: us are hell yeah
0: another big tournament coming up the north side polo invitational that is not the qualifier <laughs> this is the 18th year the tournament is running and uh that team list is also it filled up it's Did... sold out in 50 minutes does diego know
1: it's not the qualifier
0: I don't know if he knows. He <laughs> probably wouldn't play in it if it was because you can only play in two qualifiers this year.
2: True. Yeah. That's so, the Diego. That's the Diego rule, right? Yeah. That was a that was, uh, enacted. And then <laughs> it you know, with,
1: with all these rule change discussion, I really want to put forward that we should attach players' names to these changes. Uh, <laughs> like the qualifier rule really should have a little clause that says like the qualifier rule slash Diego, and then it goes slash like, Diego. You know,
2: Damn,
0: that's like the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. We never <laughs> asked him about that when he was on the show.
0: I don't think.
1: No, we yeah, shouldn't. we didn't bring it up, oh, which well. is too bad. We'll
0: ask him
2: about it, at NSPI.
0: You know, and we'll get it on tape. We got two other tournaments coming up: two v two in Montreal. That's August thirteenth and fourteenth. It's on these two mini courts they got there. I've heard they're pretty cool. Liam, you could probably speak to this better than I can.
2: Yeah, but you know, I actually haven't played on them yet. But they are—they are—they're like two very small courts side by side. Um, in Park Beaubien and it's like um, apparently it's it's perfect for two on two polo. They're small, you don't really get spots to like sprint. You're pretty, it's pretty technical, and um, yeah, I think I think there's some rules like it's two on two, and you you can't shoot from beyond your own half, so you can't be taking big cross court rippers. You got to enter their half and whatnot. Interesting. And, yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten over there to play. It's a bit further for me, but um, yeah, shout out Raph and Jan are are putting this one on. Yeah, Thank I should also give a big them. shout
0: out to Justin for Rumble by the River as well. We forgot oh, yeah, to mention out. that, but he did oh, an outstanding yeah, job.
1: Shout out to uh, Patty, Charlie, and uh, Elijah for taking down yeah the they won the crown.
0: That was a crazy end of the tournament, though. I think the last like six games of the tournament, or like the last five elimination games, were all decided by one point. Or like overtime, every single one. So it was very tight. Teams had to win overtime after overtime after overtime or one point after one point win to make it to. And they did. So hats off to them. And then we also got Kitchener who is hosting the North Side qualifier. That's not North Side Polo Invitational that's in Ottawa. It's the Kitchener Waterloo North Side qualifier. And that is September twenty fourth and twenty-fifth. But there's more details to come on that. Still a ways away
1: yeah that that's the inside scoop that hasn't even been updated on bike polo calendar yet which exclusive has had so many updates we're not going to even try to read them all anymore you just i hope we've said bike polo calendar enough people that listen to the show know to go there to look for tournaments
0: Uh uh-huh alex what's this other rumor tournament you got floating out here on the outline
1: so toronto used to be famous for hosting fall ball in and, uh, obviously with the pandemic and us losing Dufferin Grove, that's kind of been on a, an extended hiatus, but I can leak the fact that we got in touch with the city and actually have a new point of contact to be able to try and get a court for this fall. So we are currently working on it. There's no, you know, we don't have a date or any confirmation yet, but we un- now understand the steps that we need to go through to get the court. And it looks like we're going to be able to do that. So fall ball in on the horizon.
2: You heard cool. it first. There we go. Has the fur, is the fur still attached to the squirrel trophy? Do you know? I don't know <laughs> Who's where got that, it?
1: I don't know where that trophy is. I think New York took it. I don't know.
2: What I do know
0: is that we have a super long interview. So let's hop to it. We had Joe Ristam on and he talked to us all about the rule changes that he proposed in that large document on behalf of the NAH And uh, Really interesting conversation. A lot of, uh, I think, misconceptions got cleared up, so pay close attention. He really goes into detail about the development of this proposal, the idea behind each rule, and his kind of justifications for it. Uh, It's an amazing interview, so uh, without any further ado, let's jump right into it.
1: All right. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the podcast.
4: (laughs) Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: That's it. That right? it. Yeah. What else What else was I supposed <laughs> to say, Gavin?
0: Uh, well, let me just jump into the questions here for Joe. We're happy to have you on the podcast. It's going to be a good one. That's what I We're said. We're really looking forward to this. No, I didn't say that.
1: I forgot to say <laughs> uh, that.
0: Okay. Why don't you just start off by telling us a bit about who you are as a bike polo player and your role with, uh, you know, Nah.
4: Sure. So I started playing bike polo in uh, Mankato, Minnesota in around 2011. I was involved in NAH by the end of 2012 wow. and that was a really fast pace to get involved in organizing but at the time there was basically three people uh involved it was ben schultz and Shandell and uh i believe eric ransom was still involved to some extent um just from like the Organization, legal side of things, and uh, basically Ben and I started talking, and then we more or less never stopped talking. Uh, one good anecdote that I have is that right when I came on board, uh, Ben said to me that the year prior he had, you know, asked a few players at North Americans if they felt that he was doing a good job, at, you know, leading NAH, and one player who I, I won't name said, well, I think everything you're doing sucks, but one thing I can say is that you're really good at working the phones. And that's something that that stuck with me because uh, it's, it's the same way that I like to do things. I like to talk to people. Um, I'm really easy to uh, sort of get to engage in conversation, um, especially with people that think the same way I do and are open-minded and don't come at me you know, with uh, like a a certain level of aggression or, uh, you know, condescension, things like that. Um, Really, I'm open to talk to anyone. And uh, it's, you know, especially early on, you know, it's like when you have that initial stoke as a player, you want to talk about polo all the time. I had podcasting equipment back then. I probably would have given it a shot. And, uh, you know, yes, exactly. So, uh, although no one wants to listen to that. But yeah, basically I got involved in 2012, we immediately had to throw Worlds in Florida and that's where I kind of took over on refereeing. I had to put together a rule set for that right away. I did that with a lot of help at the time. We were using a rule set that was written primarily by Menace in New York City, I believe, and a few other people, but we had Nick Cruz on board to help out with that. I also had been talking with uh, you know Eric Kremen and Brian Dillman quite a bit about how they saw things. And we put together a rule set that worked. It was very condensed, concise, and literal. It was like literally you can't do this move, right? <laughs> and it would be referencing like a specific polo move, right? And what I realized was that there was all of these other things, you know, loopholes that players found that they could exploit. And you would see things even like, you know, the classic one is uh, a player like pulling someone's shirt from behind to prevent <laughs> them from moving forward. There was no rule against that because body to body contact was legal. That qualifies,
0: right?
1: Oh, the Airbud clause. Uh, there's no rule against yes. it.
0: <laughs> e- exactly. Yep. Is that how Airbud got in that basketball yeah, There's team? no
1: rules that say dogs can't play basketball.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Is there a exactly. world that says dogs can't play bike polo? <laughs> uh,
2: not there's not.
1: I know oh, Ottawa has a specific shit. role for dogs and chatter.
0: Yeah, well, that's a halftime show. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting off topic there. Joe, I know uh, in our part of the world, in North Sides, a lot of people sometimes are a bit confused, a lot of the newer players, about you know, what NAH actually does and what their role actually is and how much you know power they have over bike polo and pickup, some people seem to think. So do you just want to give us a little brief, summary of you know what NAH, their purpose is and what the organization actually does so the purpose
4: of nih initially was just to throw a championship that was the only purpose that they had and so everything that's come after that is still for that sole purpose and now you know folks like elias and jenny have added in this you know this new sort of uh uh, I guess, ground that they can break to, to uh, sort of expand the, um, you know, the purpose of NAH. but really where my focus lies is on, you know, that championship and then the qualifying series that, that leads up to it. And so things are changing. There's a long list of things that I haven't gotten to do that I wanted to do things like, you know, I had floated in 2014 of establishing a players association and a rest association and because I felt like, uh, you know, that would help formalize things and allow players to kind of organize themselves for giving input to NAH, right? So there's more of an, an, like a, uh, an even back and forth there. And then the refs association as well. I thought that they could then have a say. And because the, we're all players, we're all organizers, we're all referees, it, it's, this weird, it's this weird sort of uh, dynamic that we have with each other that causes issues sometimes socially Oh yeah. that can, can prevent things from moving forward, you know, in a, in a, I guess, more professional way, which not to, you know, the goal isn't to be a professional sport, but if social things are getting in the way of, uh, you know, having the best championship tournament possible, well, we need to figure out a way around that.
1: Having looked at this past week online, all the discourse and everything surrounding the rule change that, you know, we're going to get to, I, I I bet you a lot of people wish we had a referee association that could have like had a lot of these discussions for the people that are actually engaged. Like, I can't count how many people I've seen commenting very actively on potential rule changes that haven't played polo in five years and probably will <laughs> never be going to a tournament and are definitely never going to ref something. And like, I, I would love for the NAH to have like, yeah, have a referee association of like, because there are kind of, I think, a select group of players that actually care enough about the rules to have like, I don't want to say meaningful opinion, because everyone's opinions meaningful, like everyone that plays and is a part of the community. But definitely when we come down to like the nuances of some of these rules, I feel like the people that are going to be refing competitive games should maybe have more input. Absolutely,
4: and fortunately, what we're seeing right now is a groundswell of interest in refereeing. Which is great. So, yes, hundred percent. And you know, the way that we write rules is all of those—the list of like you know five to ten referees that you know everyone can count on—they all get consulted on the rules. You know, probably more so than anybody, right? If because I just figure you know people like myself have watched more polo from the perspective of what is legal versus not legal right it's a different lens that you're looking through when you're refereeing and you know i could i could go deep on you know how i feel you know people prevent themselves from refereeing well because they're watching like a spectator <laughs> right the game looks much different from the referee stand when you're focused than it does from, you know, the, the side of the boards as a spectator.
0: Mm-hmm. And the anxiety levels inside my body are also very, very different when I'm <laughs> refing. <laughs> I find I get so much more anxious, like looking at the clock. It's a nerve wracking moment when you're the one who has to make the calls for sure.
4: Yeah. And I can tell you that, you know, it, it definitely helps to get over that anxiety, just like that anxiety that you feel, you know, as a player on the court. You know, if you feel that right away, refereeing, you just need to uh, kind of work through it, stick with it until you don't feel it anymore. But that gives you the experience to be able to say whether or not a rule, you know, is actually enforceable, because that that is, of course, one of the most common arguments that gets made broadly on any rule that gets proposed is, well, this is hard to referee. And it's like, well, I- unless you've done it, how can you really know? And so I I feel like, uh, you know, the few of us that have done it at a high level for a really long time, you can sort of trust us (laughs) to to know if it's going to be, you know, easy or hard to referee. What
1: other authority on competitive bike polo rules enforcement are you turning to, if not the experienced competitive refs?
0: Right, right, exactly. We're burying the lead here a little bit. I mean, last (laughs) week, you put out a big rules proposal article, a long one, to say the least, and uh it hasn't even been, all... been a
2: week it's only been like oh, well, almost all right. a so week. so
1: now we're gonna get Liam to read it word for word it's only uh seven, <laughs> pages. this is gonna be the ultimate mailbag episode uh take it you away know, Liam. I'm not I'm not reading <laughs> all that I read it
2: um uh I mean I read it for myself nice I didn't read it out loud to myself that would have taken a while for sure
0: well you did more than most I think then Liam but uh <laughs> what goes into making a proposal like this because Obviously, there was a lot of effort put into this document.
4: Yeah. I mean, we had a pandemic, you know, that gave us a lot of time to think about these things. And so a lot of this stuff um, we were talking about four or five years ago. And and that's why, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see, you know, the surprise coming from, you know, certain groups. But it's like, that's an unfortunate side effect of, uh, you know, this more social way of gathering feedback and uh you know exploring ideas and talking things out is like you end up just talking to the people that show up to the tournaments Mm -hmm. right and i do my best to have conversation with a lot of different types of people a lot of different um, levels of player people from different regions right because i don't want to be myopic i don't want it to be just my personal opinion on anything. And so the way that we decide which rules we're going to pursue and which ones we're not going to pursue is basically by consensus. If everyone agrees that something is a problem that needs to be looked at, then we'll look at it. And so, like, for example, you know, the rules that we didn't pursue were just body contact in general. There's a strong feeling in, in certain groups that we should just outright ban body contact right like and and only have only incidental body contact and the reason that i did not pursue that one specifically this time around is because we had already prioritized some of the interference mallet stuff and foul accumulation and that would be a lot of stuff at once right like this is already going to have an impact on the way the game is played uh, at at the high level it's more about having a slow, steady drip and allowing things to change, you know, in, in, uh, you know, at at a better pace. We don't want it to be glacial, but we also don't want to move too quickly because we will inevitably make a mistake and have to go back on something. And, you know, another example is like the joust, right? Like we have been talking about the joust ever since I started, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could go back on League of Bike Polo and, and find a post every year about getting rid of the joust, I think there's a case to be made for it, but you know, it's just obviously not like a huge priority in the scheme of things. it's It's yeah. such a small thing that it's something that we can just change later when we feel like it if we want to. But it's also one of those things that, sh- just completely unique to bike polo that's something that makes polo what it is everyone's another argument that people make quite often is you know like this isn't hockey or this isn't (laughs) soccer or this isn't basketball and it's like okay well if we need to maintain some of our own unique identity like that's one of those things right
1: the irony that i know a lot of people bring up with with some stuff is like things like body contact and the joust like i think most of these rule changes that get proposed often are in the spirit of making things safer and you know, body contact and the joust have to be probably in a vacuum the most dangerous things. But they are a part of the game. They are. We're not going to take the bikes out. You always see people memeing right away. Just ban mallets altogether, and it's like, okay, well, that's not that's not construct like that. That isn't the game. That's not uh that's not constructive. And I mean, with all these decisions, it's such a there's so many different possible ways you could take it i almost i always think of this almost like a video game developer it was funny reading reading these uh, proposed changes it reminded me so much of getting patch notes from like a major game studio this is we're nerfing this thing this thing's changing we tweak this number and then watching all the memes in the online discourse i was like oh we are just the gaming community like this is uh <laughs> right. this is exactly the same uh sort of response that you expect there and I'll admit, it's like really hard for me to just like shut off the gaming part of my brain where I'm just like, I just want to jump on and make all these memes. and you know
4: <laughs> when I think what's interesting about that too is that that's actually a testament to how solid the current rule set is. Uh, in past releases, it's literally been releasing an entirely new rule set every time. yeah, and so we don't have to write much of a like I never had to write a post this long for past <laughs> rule sets. it was it was always just, Hey, we redid it, read it, you know, and yeah. then you're going to vote on it. And and like, that was it. And it was like a wholesale vote on the whole thing. And so the fact that we can do this incrementally now, I think speaks to the deliberate care that we're putting into it to craft it, right. And make it sustainable. And and that's really important to me. And to that end, some of the other ways that we do craft the rule set is by doing game study. One person emailed me and and asked me, well, can you tell me like exactly what you did to figure out how many fouls is the right amount of fouls for accumulation? Like, did you keep a spreadsheet? And it's like, well, no, because uh, I would if I was getting paid to do this every day. But like, that's a big undertaking. And that Mm -hmm. being said, I do watch a lot of polo and I go back and I watch polo videos, but I also sort of just take stock at the end of tournaments right for stuff like that and i guess we can get to this when we talk about escalation and accumulation but one example is i don't really need to get quantifiable data on that because we know that nobody hit the foul limit in worlds and nobody hit the foul limit at
1: nas I think Sean fouled out in the didn't Sean foul out in the quarters or the semis
4: in in Cordoba. Yep. Um, I I think so. Yeah. And so like that was, that would be the first instance of it. And so it's like, okay, we, that's the quantifiable data that we need, right? Like the number's too high (laughs) (laughs) or at least something else needs to be fixed. Right. And, and that's where, you know, escalation comes in. Basically what I do is I write a draft explain it to people, I show it around, and then I solicit feedback. And a rule can go through any number of um, rounds of feedback. But essentially, the mindset that I have as I'm doing this is is twofold. One is I want to be a conduit for other people's ideas and their input and their takes on things. right? Like, this isn't just me having an idea and wanting to see a certain style of play or anything like that. I incorporate a lot of, like, really good ideas from other players. It used to be mainly Nick Cruz and I doing this. And essentially, we would just talk all the time the same way that I would talk to Ben Schultz all the time. What I realized was that broadening that group was going to result in just more successful implementation, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to be... It's gonna just go better and smoother if I know that people, people are already on board with the spirit of the rule, right? Mm-hmm. Even if the language isn't perfect, the spirit is understood, right? Interference was written the way that it was because Nick disagreed with me about fully banning any off ball uh, you know, motion that impeded a, a player's progress, right? And so we had to do that one incrementally. And I felt that that was the wrong thing to do. I still feel like it was the wrong thing to do. I think that all that interference did right away was basically say, you can't check somebody off ball. Mm -hmm. That one was Mm -hmm. obvious. That's a no brainer, right? (laughs) Like you you can't just go around gooning on people, you know, anywhere on the court. Like it's, that one's easy the obstruction part of it was tougher. And now what I, you know, what we got to do was roll that back into the interference, right? Like a lot of people don't even know that obstruction isn't even in the rule set anymore. They would you know? if they
1: listened to our episode on a Eli- lot with Elias. <laughs>
4: yes, which, exactly. Which is yeah.
1: when I found out it isn't a rule anymore. <laughs> uh, right.
4: It, because it, yeah. it, it it's just one rule. rule, you know, it's like, you you just can't impede a player's progress towards the, the ball, uh, you know, unless you're making a play on the ball. And that's pretty standard in every other sport, right? Like you, you see it, you know, they talk about body position a Mm -hmm. lot in other rule sets in both soccer and in hockey. It's all about body position. If you gain body position on somebody, that's fine, but you need to continue moving towards the ball, right? Uh, and, And that is in the spirit of the game, which fundamentally is, you know, like I wrote in the post, you're trying to score more goals than your opponent in a certain amount of time right? And, it, and it's that simple. And that's how all ball sports can be summed up essentially. And, and so that is sort of the North Star that I use when I think about how bike polo could evolve.
0: Should we dive into some of these rules and just like cut right to it, you know? The first one on my list here is uh, problematic behavior. So it seems like this rule, well, I'll let you explain it, Joe. What, what's the problematic behavior rule change all about?
2: Is it about Gavin? Is what he's wondering.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably.
2: Wants to clear his conscience.
1: <laughs> Specifically for podcast hosts.
2: No, no, we're not going to name <laughs> anybody.
4: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I won't name anybody um, in particular. There's in in the past few years, pandemic aside, there's been a few instances of uh, certain players bringing up issues with organizers of tournaments. And this is commonly, you know, women, trans, femme players and organizers who are typically male dismissing their uh, concerns, right? Basically just saying, like, you know, I can't confirm any of that. What does that have to do with this? And these
1: team? are concerns outside of the game of polo, right? We're not that, we're not talking
4: sometimes, about... Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You know, sometimes it's on-court behavior. Sometimes it's off-court behavior, what this rule is intended to do. And there's more coming from NAH on this in collaboration with other groups. And I, I, I can't get into that because I don't know all the details of it, but I can tell you that we are working on things to address some of these issues outside of tournaments. However, what I realized is that we could pretty simply within the rule set, create a framework for ensuring that you know those players who bring concerns aren't dismissed right? That their voices are heard. And some people have said, well, you know, can't you just use regional reps or NAH to determine if a player is eligible to play or not based on that? And really we're not the police, right? And we're not going to police your independent tournament. Like we could certainly have some say over qualifiers, but even that it's like, you know, we can't prove or disapprove anyone in particular outside of the parameters of who's eligible to play based on their region, even. In the interest of more of an abolitionist mindset, which is the community sort of policing itself, it made sense to me to set up this framework where players can submit their concerns to the organizer and the organizer is obligated to relay the information to team captains, uh, you know, aside from obviously the team with the player in question, and then uh, get all of those teams to vote on it. and And that would be the extent of it now this isn't the only thing we're gonna do right and this isn't perfect certainly but this is going to be hopefully the start of something that will allow us to see you know improvement there and
1: hopefully we never need it yeah
4: right like that's the idea
1: that's the first place my mind goes with this is like obviously i would hope that if the community is ever forced to deal with a situation like this that in an ideal world you don't have to spell it out and put it in the rules like this is something i think part of the responsibility you take on when you throw a tournament is conflict resolution for better or worse. It's like not the fun part of throwing a tournament and hopefully you don't have to do too much of it. But if people are coming to you with their issues, there shouldn't have to be a rule that says you need to take those issues seriously. Absolutely. But I agree with you that like having a a codified process probably helps. It, It helps tournament organizers that might not be experienced with conflict resolution to have a way to, You know, a a clear path to try to address that.
4: Right. Well, and, and to drive that point home, you know, a lot of those tournament organizers that don't have experience with conflict resolution, like it's because of the undeniable power dynamic that exists because of their privilege, right? Like, it, it, they've never had to deal with it because it hasn't, they just get to do whatever they want to do and they don't have to deal with other people's problems, right? It's really easy as a tournament organizer because you're overwhelmed with other things mm-hmm. to just yeah. say, like, well, I don't want to deal with what they perceive as drama, when really mm-hmm. it's not drama, it is legitimate concerns for safety, right? Mm-hmm. And that should be a tournament organizer's top priority. And so this is to help both the players and the tournament organizers to to do something.
2: Yeah. Is that one of the the rules that's voted on? Sorry. Yes. I was wondering I just realized there's like the rules being implemented without voting.
1: Yeah, there's a handful of rules that are being voted on like and a handful <laughs> that are just sort of changing.
2: Yeah, remember when I said I I read it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I skimmed it. I
1: think a lot of people have had that reaction.
0: I had to read it two or three times, especially certain parts. As far as the problematic behavior, it's kind of sad to see this rule have to be enforced. You know, you'd kind of hope that tournament organizers would be able to deal with this. But I think, Joe, you said a really good thing around how busy some tournament organizers are and the fact that we all see things through the lens of our own experiences and what we've had in life up to that point. Right. So it can be challenging to completely understand the severity and scope of some of these issues that are brought forward um, for those people. And I think it's a good change that we're saying this has to be dealt with. What's our next one? Who has the next uh, rule we want to dive into?
1: Escalation and accumulation. I guess for context, this is probably the rule I dislike the most and have since it's <laughs> first it was first introduced. Like I just I, I I don't want to like cloud the discussion with my with my personal takes because I think it exists, and it's confusing enough. I think a lot of people have misinterpreted this rule beyond my you know confusing things with my own. Takes. So, can you explain sort of the motivation and the rule in general?
4: The motivation for this rule is based on, you know, the premise of competitive fairness, right? Basically, in the status quo, you can foul your way to the end of a tournament, right? <laughs> like, you can foul through the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And, you know, essentially, you know, outside of the box penalties that you received in those games, you could argue those fouls helped you win, right? And then you just get a free pass in in the finals, right? We see this and, you know, I'm going to keep referencing other sports because Mm -hmm. they're a good point of comparison, right? Like that's all it is, is like, okay, what exists, why did they do it, and is it effective? And so you look at competitions like uh, like the UEFA Champions League, right? There's a yellow card limit that you can hit before you have to sit a game. And that is for this exact reason, right? Like if you are consistently breaking the rules, well, you shouldn't be incentivized to do that. And so what a rule set and this specific rule is meant to do is to disincentivize fouling, right? that's why people wonder about like is it too many is the limit too few like am i going to foul out every time just for like a few mistakes and it's like well sure you might but chances are if you're abiding by the rules of the game then you're not going to suffer these consequences and if you do and it was an accident no one is judging you and saying that like you did this out of malice however your team needs to pay some sort of price for winning that way, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's all it is. It's for competitive fairness. We want the two best teams to reach the end of the tournament, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the the motivation is for for rules, but it's also the motivation for formats. You know, a lot of people, this was another thing that came up. People hate single elim. They prefer double elim. People hate round robin. They prefer it, just Swiss rounds. Because that was tradition and it was really fun and it was exciting, but it's like, we have to come up, as NH, we have to come up with the most competitively fair way to determine who the best team on the continent is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's a, like, variance makes sports interesting, right? If the best team won all the time, like, there's no point in playing the games. So I, I think there is, like, a, a larger discussion to be had about, like, to what extent should variance... Play in bike polo and like what kind of variants do we want to allow but i think like generally speaking you you're totally right with you want the you want competitive integrity like without competitive integrity you just don't like what do you have right
4: yeah and i mean sometimes the best team doesn't win i mean the toronto raptors won their
0: championship you know oh my god <laughs> the animosity is growing inside of me yeah but uh <laughs> I think I've been at tournaments, Joe, where I've definitely felt as though players were leveraging, you know, reckless play speed in order to gain advantage, right? Because they know that if they do like T-bone by accident, let's say, I mean, their purpose is not to T-bone, but they're playing in a way that's very reckless and is increasing the risks of these kind of infractions. They know it's probably just going to be a ball turnover. And I really like the escalation rule for that because- I don't think that playing with like reckless abandon should give you an advantage because players are intimidated to uh, play against you. I know I can think of one situation, Alex, where you were in net in a tournament we were playing and the player just completely ran into you. Yeah. It was like, well, you either have to get out of the way to let them (laughs) score or they're just going to run into you and you have to make that choice in net. And the result was a ball turnover.
1: And a broken fork.
0: Yeah, that's true too. Because running <laughs> um, into
1: me is not the same as running into the average polo player.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're, heavy, you're heavier than most, I'd say. Not that you're heavy though, okay? Hey, I own it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I love that. But I think there's a lot of nervousness out there around the numbers here, right? In a squad game, you get that. Well, every game you get the one ball turnover before it's an immediate 45 second mandatory.
1: And this, this, is, this is the proposed change. I think we should just clarify like the difference between current rules and proposed changes or else it's going to it's going to get really confusing okay go ahead clarify alex oh god okay let me let me bring this up uh actually joe of, this space out
4: i mean i i know it by heart if you want okay, to okay go yeah for if, it, joe. You, if you can
0: <laughs> tell us the change here
4: <laughs> okay so the the current rule is essentially you know we built this framework this was just for seattle nas but we built this framework that said you get two ball turnovers before it's an automatic minor And then you get two minors before it's an automatic major. And if you get two majors, you're out of the game. And there was no game ban after that, right? So it was essentially six fouls that you could get. And two majors is a long time off the court, right? (laughs) Like that's, and we never even saw it. We never even saw one major, right? So no one at NAs even hit that, the four foul limit, right? And so that's why I'm proposing that you essentially get a, a soft five or a hard four foul limit. I structured it the same way that the, that the NBA handles flagrant fouls, where basically in the playoffs, you get a certain number of flagrant points, right? And a flagrant a flagrant two is worth two, a flagrant one is worth one, right? And if you hit the limit, you're out for the next game, right? You get ejected from that game and you have to sit the next one classically you know Draymond Green had received one of those and had to sit out a finals game you know against that LeBron Cavs team and the teams. rest is yeah. yep the rest is history right like it, that made a huge impact on it but Draymond you know in that case as you know a fan i don't think he deserved it but let's say <laughs> you know in theory he did do something where he deserved it then competitive <laughs> fairness was achieved right so and and that, that speaks to variance in refereeing and how things are applied, right? Mm-hmm. And and how actions are judged. And you're never going to get consistent refereeing. And I and that's why I use a lot of language that says if the referee deems and and other like adjectives like excessive or unnecessary or defenseless, like those were those words are are put there so that we can sort of get a temperature check on how different referees are interpreting those right and then as a community we need to come up with essentially a code for what we all consider to be the limits on on those words right and like you said when a team is playing incredibly recklessly the ref isn't calling anything that's still having an impact on the other team beyond just the fouls that is causing the other team to to play differently than they would otherwise if the fouls were getting called or if the fouls weren't being committed right and if your style of play is like literally crippling another team that to me isn't very it's obviously not fair and it, it's and it's just bad
3: sportsmanship
1: well if your style of play is outside of the rules and crippling their their play style if your style of play is within the rules and crippling another team then like i'm all for it
0: <laughs> sure it, it, absolutely strategically yep. yeah yeah so <laughs> that's where i think all, some of the anxiety from some of the players we're seeing voiced comes from is like reffing especially subjective terms after a new rule set comes in is going to be a little bit all over the place. That's fair to say, just because of how people are interpreting these rules and having only one ball turnover before you get a 45 second minor. And then even some people are saying they might out to games. I think that's a little less probable, but that 45 second minor is still significant in a game for sure. Two on three. It's more so than a four on five in hockey. And this is where people are getting nervous. So do you mind Joe, just talking a bit about the numbers? It sounds like you've, thought a lot about these numbers.
4: Yeah, like I said, I mean, we did some game study, and I, I looked back on a lot of the games that I've refereed personally, because that at least is a sample set where I know I called the penalties that I wanted to call, right? Mm-hmm. These numbers made sense to me. However, players who play incredibly cleanly reach out to me and say, what if I get an accidental jam, you know, followed by like a, a, a whale tail or whatever it is, mm. and then I'm, I'm in a bad position, and like, now my team has to make a decision about whether I'm on a court or not. And this is the beauty of squad, right? Like you can get to your foul limit and your team just might not play you. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's ways to avoid fouling out. And it's by not putting yourself in the position to foul out. And that means that teams have to do a lot better time management in their shifts. Right. And that's something that I don't think anyone has thought about yet.
0: This is one of my favorite things about this rule, because I have for a long time thought that squad rotations haven't at the top level been motivated by being tired as much as they probably should be most players are able to hold that pace because they play super long pickup games and their fitness is at a level where they can ride their bike for 45 minutes right but i think that this foul accumulation has an interesting effect in strategic changes for that like if one of our strongest players gets a ball turnover early we can sub them off and save them for the end or if let's say we've never played with this ref before we don't know how they're going to call stuff maybe we don't start our best player so that we can get a lay of what they're going to call and what they're not going to call before we put them out there this is i think very intriguing
1: i think everything you're saying and like intriguing is good i just i bring it back to sort of what we were talking before about what kind of variants do we want to have be competitively impactful and i would hate. The determining factor in games like the variance that's going to choose between the best team and the worst team advancing be like the variance in referee or the variance in like certain calls right like i think that's the kind of variance we probably want to minimize yes and, and, and that's
4: the point of escalation right like i, I don't want to conflate the two rules right like escalation is something i think everyone agrees with
1: we need more box
4: penalties because a ball turnover does not uh rectify the advantage that was lost right mm-hmm. it just doesn't um mm-hmm. a ball like if 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 you're telling me like you can foul me you know more or less in your half like as I'm driving towards the net, and what I get is I get to go back to my half and try again. Well, wouldn't you just foul me every time then? How, you know? how,
1: how prolific are intentional fouls in competitive polo would you say?
4: Uh, Not very prolific. Um, There's a few teams that are sort of notorious for doing it. Mm -hmm. And again, there's no reason to name names, but they, you know, were definitely a catalyst for, you know, having to formalize this. Like I had thought about this again, like five, six years ago, but there was just never a need. Like the, the need then was to just get more competent
1: referees. Yeah. Is the objective, I guess, to, to try and foul players out, like the way the rules are structured and the way the numbers are, it sounds like it's the objective is to have a framework that will actually foul players out of games.
4: I, I don't think so. I, I think, no, I, I don't, I actually don't want to see players foul okay. out at all.
1: Cause th- that, that, that's where I was going. Like, I don't want to ever see yep. someone foul out. <laughs>
4: I think we absolutely need more box penalties and people need to get used to that. I think people need to start practicing how to do a penalty kill effectively and you know, how to make substitutions for those and and things like that. I think people uh, sort of get tunnel vision when they're on the court and they're just like, they play who's out there. They don't Mm. talk about it as a team, that kind of thing. Mm
3: -hmm. And
4: uh, really this should be a part of the game because the only way to rectify that lost advantage is to sit somebody in in the box, and we've seen. And the reason that you know we want to increase it to forty five seconds is because a thirty second penalty kill for some of the best teams is incredibly easy. I mean, a, a North Americans was won during a penalty kill.
1: Yeah, right. A two v, uh, two person penalty kill.
4: Right, which was actually like a bad application of the rules. I just couldn't remember. Like, because they came to me and they asked, and I was like, Yeah, I think they got to sit both. But like, I, I had written something about how they didn't have to do that. And so, really, and all of the social aspect of this aside, like, those were my
1: homies, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I did that to a
4: team that I'm friends with. And, and that, I think, shows how unbiased I actually am because I put them in a worse situation.
1: No, I saw memes on Facebook that said this is all regional. It's just regional yeah. warfare.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So okay. <laughs> yeah, I just want to put a pin on in this, which is what we can do based on the feedback that I've been getting and what we will do, and we promise this in the post, is look at these b- before qualifiers and make adjustments as needed. And I think I am compelled to add one more minor in that you can get before a major is invoked. And so it would push that number up one. But the goal is to not have players foul out. And it's not from within the parameter of the rule. It's from a deterrent, right? Like the rule, the, the rules are meant to be a deterrent from fouling in the first place. And so if we have enough for... And, a, and an accidental foul is still a foul, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need to be responsible for your body. Yeah, you need you, to be responsible for your mallet. If you T-bone
1: someone because you were trying to get on the brakes and didn't stop in time, like that's still a foul. You're responsible for your bike. It's a it's a big difference in my book between if you deliberately T-bone someone versus the foul like I'll be honest I think if you if you are out there deliberately T-boning people or deliberately fouling people that like I think that should just be a major if not an ejection on the spot because like we that's just not what we're here for this is not a professional game you
0: know but deliberate spray. fouling is like deliberate versus unintentional versus intentional like this is a very hard conversation That's a that's a, that's a hard call time for time a referee to make in the Yeah moment, especially with sure. no slow motion replay like I yeah. can't imagine be tough I mean, like that Siakam
2: elbow that was unintentional. that was justice <laughs> <laughs> I'm foreseeing like do you, do you foresee at all if the if these um if the rules go through as is and like there'll be sort of this year of where where people are just gonna be fouling out left and right because they've maybe had it it's been a bit too light you're gonna have teams that are gonna be like we don't have enough players just because they're all fouled <laughs> out or something like that. I don't know. We,
1: we brought this up. I was talking to Gavin as a hypothetical, and I wanted to know if both teams have had everyone
0: foul out, who wins the game? C-
2: certainly if there's an Ottawa team, if there's an all Ottawa all- <laughs> all-stars team.
0: <laughs> We're such a clean club. What do you mean?
2: I'm talking the old school.
0: Oh, old school. Old okay. school Maybe. players. If we had like not name Oh, name geez. Names. Yeah, I mean,
4: th- there is language <laughs> in there that guarantees that you'll have three players available in any game. Right? Like, okay, good. If you have multiple players who earned a game ban, it obviously you could follow out your whole team in a single game, right? Achievement and, unlocked.
2: And,
3: and
4: and if you do that, if you do that, you've won bike polo, yeah. right?
3: Like, that's then get <laughs> It's, it's over. That. Someone's going <laughs> to try the head now, qualifier.
0: Like, yeah, some you, DFL you team is polo. good. DFL, yeah. <laughs> No, if no, you no. follow the
1: Fibonacci it's... sequence of letters in the rule update that Joe just put out, it actually says that if you foul out, you win.
3: Oh my God. Man, instead
2: of a DFL award, there'll be a DFO. Guys, this is some deep YouTube conspiracy
0: stuff. <laughs> Damn, the, fouled out. The other rules changes that was proposed in the recent document uh, that actually caught me off guard a little bit, I'm not going to lie, was the inclusion of penalty shots. Hell yeah. So Yeah, like... yeah so like,
1: first first of all, I, I was going to say this. You You were saying we need to... Some other way to rectify this advantage that's lost when uh, you know, a scoring opportunity is taken away. and I was like, well, there is something else that's been proposed, right? <laughs>
4: yes, hundred percent. Again, penalty shots, something that was talked about ten years ago. And some tournaments were played with them. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I don't know all the history on that, but really, this was something that in in this case, I always just brought it up with people and I'd say, well, you know, what do you think about this? And basically everyone was like, this sounds like a lot of fun. And so it, this rule serves two purposes. One, it, it like delights me greatly. <laughs> and I know that <laughs> that maybe isn't the best motivation, but I'll, I'll touch on what Alex just said, which is if you follow somebody when they're about to take a shot, even a 30-second penalty isn't necessarily enough, right? Like you should get that opportunity back directly. And then that team should still have to serve that 30 45-second uh, or two-minute penalty for playing dangerously, essentially. And that's why, you know, somebody asked me, well, wouldn't it be more reasonable to say that if you score the penalty shot that then that player that fouled doesn't have to serve the 30-second penalty? And I said, well, no, because that still incentivizes them to foul in front of net, if you think about it, right? Like, if, if there's a goalie in net and I get to take a penalty shot with that goalie in net, and if I miss, they have to serve the the 32nd, but if if I score, they don't. Well, now they've just been incentivized to do that because it was probably a higher percentage shot that I was taking in live play, right? Absolutely. Uh, Because it was happening in the course of play. I, I think a penalty shot allows a goalie to get set. It puts a lot of pressure on the person taking the penalty, I think those are going to be lower percentage shots, but you should still get it, right? And if you make it, that team should still be punished because that's what is disincentivizing them from fouling in that situation.
1: Yeah. No, I, I mean I think we all know those situations where like someone's clearly beat a defender, they're past them, and then like an errant mallet takes out a back wheel or something, intentional or not, but it's like this is bullshit and they should get that they should get that playback. And I I just I wanted to clarify because I know this is in the rules, but uh, as we kind of alluded to before, maybe not everybody read the proposal. If if the goaltender dabs and I shoot and it hits them and they block it, but they're dabbed, that's still a goal, right?
4: Um, yes, I, I, I realize I need to add a little bit of clarity to those like edge cases. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to be making an update to that prior to voting. When everything gets sent out to club reps to vote on, it will come with those amendments, you know, and, and I'll just update the post with those I'm not gonna make a separate post. Like the rules in that post are just going to update at some point here. and and we'll we'll message it out. But basically, you know there's a few different scenarios we have to account for. One of them is the language about you know, like what's meant by a direct line, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so you know, I, I definitely loud and clear, you know I, I thought it was reasonable enough to write that and have everyone understand, but clearly it needs a little bit more. Um, specificity, which is fine.
1: Would you do the thing they do, in, like because I think the NHL just says as long as the puck moves forward, right? Like you can do yeah. whatever you want, but you as soon as the puck moves backwards, the penalty shot is over. Yep. Is that kind of the like? I assume that was the the model that you were trying to follow with the or the the spirit of the yeah, rules? more or less,
4: more or less. Uh, the The exact situation that I want to avoid is a player heading towards the crease, towards the goalie, not liking the look that they're going to get. So they do, like, a little circle around, you know, to try to get a second look. Especially with, like, a goalie who, you know, can freedom block really well. Mm-hmm. They might mm-hmm. try to, like, fish the freedom block and then, like, go around their steering arm side and then try to, like, yeah. seat belt it in or whatever. And and that, to me, is is not in the spirit of what a penalty shot yeah. is, but right? But dangles like so, yeah. are
1: an essential part of penalty shooting, right? Well, we want dangles? dangles. Dangles, like, where you just, like, you know, you, like, bring them out to one side and then the goalie goes for it and you just, like put them on it's a, a Canadian term. It means yeah. deking. Oh yeah. A
4: hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That like, I, I want to see a lot of creativity within this framework, which is kind of why I yeah. left it a little bit vague. We just don't want players to turn around and head back towards their own
1: half. Yeah. <laughs> Big reset. I think the basketball equivalent is a broken ankle. Like we want to see ankles yes. getting broken on penalty shots as opposed to,
0: I, I want to see stone reset. cold saves. I want to see, yeah. what is the... I want
1: to see blocks.
2: Yes. One question I had, and maybe I'm a bit I think we've already um, established that I'm one of these people that read the rules. (laughs) So there's two variations, one with a goalie and one without. So that's depending on whether or not there was a goalie in net when they were fouled the player. I mean, I'm not going to, I've missed an open net plenty of times on a breakaway, but is kind of having a a penalty shot on an open net, a bit of a, like at the, at a high level kind of like, well, you might as well just award them a goal. Like, Gonna I, score. I don't
4: think so. Yeah, no, I, I think it's the way that I thought about this was, you know, it, it the point of it is to be direct one to one with the situation that was taken away. People miss open nets during live play all the time. People will miss open nets <laughs> on these penalty shots as well. In my mind, it's sort of like free throws in basketball where you have to prove it right. Like mm. if you get uh, so, something taken away from you for a foul well, you still need to prove that you can put the ball in the basket. And so the, and the only time that you don't have to take free throws in basketball is for a goaltend. And that's when, uh, for people that don't watch basketball, um, that's when the ball is already on its way down towards the rim, right? You know, there's a lot of nuance in that that you're like, you know, people are probably like, well, why? But it's like they just award the two points and they move on because the ball is heading into the, the, the basket, essentially. I, I think that the situation where... A goalie is dabbed, but the ball hit their wheels. That is an awarded score, right? And I believe there's language for that in the dabbing rule, but I'll, I'll double check on that.
1: I think it, I think it still exists.
4: Cool, yeah, that, that's a good catch. So thanks for keeping me honest there.
0: Uh, the however, bads, man. Someone's gonna mess this up in a semifinal, and yeah. it's just gonna be so crushing when they mess up their open net oh, hell yeah. penalty <laughs> shot. You're cheering for this, Joe. I heard you laugh before when you're saying it. But that's the situation you want to see is someone miss this shot. The drama is there, I guess.
4: I mean, there there needs to be, yeah, there needs to be high-pressure situations. Like, you need to prove it. You need to prove that you deserve that podium, right?
1: My hesitance for this rule isn't from the competitive applications. It's that I don't want to watch rookies that actually struggle on empty nets feel like they let their team down because they missed an empty net penalty shot (laughs) and like i mean that on the one hand that might be a really high point like a high point of drama in maybe a low paced game but on the other hand like it does make me a little uncomfortable
4: yeah i mean we've all been new players i'd say just add it to the stack of things that you feel (laughs) shame
2: about after you've let your team down you know do you think in the future if these penalty shots are um But if there's like an overtime situation that's just taking forever, do you think like you could ever have after, you know, a period or two overtime going to penalties like for a a championship game? Because like I'm a huge, I'm a big soccer fan and there's nothing more heart wrenching and like exciting than watching a final that goes down to penalties. Doesn't everyone
1: hate penalties? (laughs) They hate them. I hate penalties in soccer. I thought everybody just hates them. But it's crazy. It's crazy. To watch. like, I understand the necessity for them with TV broadcast, but like, I thought all sports fans just hate when games go to penalties.
4: Yeah, I mean, shootouts are objectively bad. Um, and I can tell you, as a Liverpool <laughs> fan, I both love and hate when uh-oh. it goes to
2: penalty shots. I don't know if you saw <laughs> it, my it, jersey. Uh oh, yeah, I'm and not going to talk about that though.
0: Liam's wearing it's... a jersey of a team that doesn't like Liverpool, I'm guessing
1: it's a blue no, jersey. Dude. I don't know what that means.
2: Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
0: Uh-oh. that can't be good. They hate each yeah. other.
4: Yep. So sorry.
2: Uh, We're still in the Premier League, thank God.
3: Yeah,
4: thankfully. Yeah, I I didn't want to see him go down either. Anyway, you know, I think penalty shootouts are something you could consider. I feel like, um, you know, we saw in Fresno, uh, just because of the the parity that existed between all of the teams, we saw a lot of tied games. Mm-hmm. And over times that were absolutely grueling, I—I I for one have never seen Andrew Wayland get that tired on a polo court.
3: <laughs> yeah, he—he uh,
4: he showed that he was human. And so, first of all, you have like it's double elim so they won the first game and now they got to play him again like already yeah. that's like essentially a full game of overtime which you yeah. know for spectators is great for organizers it sucks you know t was the losing lights. his mind yeah.
1: it was stressful cuz the lights were going to shut off
4: yeah and the <laughs> same thing happened to us in in worlds in florida like they the people at the facility were like no we're turning the lights off and we're like we're literally in the middle of the final game right now <laughs> like yeah. you can't shut the lights off cuz we wouldn't wouldn't be able to figure out who won the tournament And so, you know, I think that it's something that we could have in our back pocket to pull out when we need it. But I definitely, I like where your head's at. I I don't want to formalize that. I think overtimes are the way to go just because they are more pure.
1: I just want to say in the vein of like terrible overtimes and like format formats, I hope Mike Polo never goes down the best of route. Because like if you've ever watched a double elimination bracket from like an an eSports event, where they have like a best of, like you're watching a best of seven in a double elimination bracket oh and you God. get the bracket reset. I've been at a bar at two 30 in the morning where the, loser won the game seven and they're like hey it's over right we're like no it's another best of seven they're like get the fuck out of our bar (laughs) like like like, i don't know what they're like i don't know what korean shit you're watching just get out of here they're like you've been here you're so (laughs) loud and we're like but it's the final and like yeah we we had to finish it at home and it finished at like 7 a.m it was ridiculous
0: (laughs) that's hilarious as a tournament organizer i can tell you the sun setting and the lights is just so stressful like I'm doing running time. I'll start yelling first to five, like (laughs) anything to shorten games on Sunday because you just want the tournament to have a winner. Because there'd be nothing worse than a bummer where no one wins. I've never seen it happen, but it'd be it would be terrible.
4: Absolutely, and I would I would go back to you know penalty escalation as a way to help solve that. Right, like I think a lot of games end up being tied just because too many ball turnovers are being given out. Mm -hmm. Right and And so that's my hope is that we'll see more opportunities to penalty kill, less games going into multiple or endless overtimes. And on the tangent of just like format, I, I think honestly that single elim with like a best of three series. Actually satisfies what people want to see from Double
1: Elim. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and
4: and well, a, a best of three, especially with like shorter games, right? Like if we can't do 45 minute games, like if we have to do 25 or 30 minute squad games, like that to me, one game is sort of just enough to figure out your opponent, right? Mm. And so it would that it would be incredibly interesting to me if we had time and space and and infrastructure to be able to do like a a best of three series and not any more than that. I don't think best of seven would like gets you anything extra. Right. But a best of three would because it essentially becomes double limb.
1: I think three 20 minute like a best of three for 20 minute games is way better than a one hour squad game. 100 percent. Yep. I'm with you there.
0: Okay, so I feel like we're 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 through chewing on the meat of penalty shots. Let's talk about hooking. Okay, this is probably the most discussed rule change.
2: One hour in this into proposal. the conversation, we're yeah, finally exactly. we
1: buried the lead long enough
2: for sure. So I've well, seen this will only take like five minutes tops. So. <laughs> yeah. I've heard yeah, you, so You many... can time stamp it.
0: Yeah. yeah i've heard so many different interpretations of what is like two lines of text here so can we can we
1: actually read these lines of text Roberto?
0: i can read the hooking the changed rule so a hooking this is what it says a hooking penalty is assessed when a player initiates contact with their mallet to hook or hold an opposing player's mallet bike or body okay and the key word there is mallet that's the change <laughs> uh <laughs> If a player moves their mallet in a way that causes their own mallet to become hooked, a penalty will not be assessed. So if you are trying to bait a call by moving your mallet shaft into someone's head to hook it on there, that's not going to happen.
1: No, like sweep of the arm. Like they have, I mean, maybe it would
0: depends on the angle the ref has on it, but just don't do it. That's not cool. Um, Yep. But okay. So by my reading, this says that all mallet hooking is not allowed. No matter how close you are to the ball, or where the ball is in position to you, you shouldn't hook anyone's mallet or try to at least. Correct. Okay, so where's the motivation for this? Let's just go over and rehash it because people want to know.
4: Sure. So I took a look at how other sports, what their code is when they're playing the game, right? And and hockey is a really good one to look at in this case. In USA hockey, they don't allow hooking, which they define as like pointing the stick downwards and using it to, to hook onto the stick of your opponent or or body, right? And mm-hmm. that's in a sport where They wear full pads, they can turn 360 degrees. And and the the one similarity is that they're moving at velocity on on skates, which are sort of similar to a bike, right? Meanwhile, we have sort of a different approach to that and we only have one arm available to us. And because we only have one arm available to us, I sort of started thinking about this fundamentally as the mallet is an extension of your body. and, And that's gonna be a divisive point of view. But it's one that I would compel people to think about because if the point of the sport is to put the ball in the net and as a general uh, sort of like fundamental philosophy is you shouldn't be able to impede someone else's opportunity to do that, to put the ball in the net, then anything that results in impediment that prevents the player from moving forward or having free and open movement of their body isn't broadly in the spirit of the game
1: sorry isn't the whole point of defense to try to be an impediment to them putting the ball in the net
4: absolutely but only up until that threshold of like actually confining them right it's it it goes back to that body position thing right like in soccer when two players are running towards an open ball you can sh- shoulder them from the side, but you have to continue moving towards the ball, right? Mm-hmm. Now, pure athleticism comes into it and it's like, okay, who's faster, who's stronger, you know, the, that sort of thing. When you engage in a in a hook that's prolonged, what you're doing is essentially stopping the game from being played in in my interpretation of it, right? Like everyone's going to have a slightly different take on this. And so what I had considered was... You know, putting a time limit on hooking. Well, that's what is going to be hard to referee, right? Like if I'm up there on the ref stand and I have to count out a hook, well, (laughs) I can't be looking at anything else. Right. And so that to me is just out of the question. And so it was a matter of, okay, you know, do we still allow hooking of a mallet and then handle everything else and interference, which we would have to put like a time limit in, or, you know, like some of the more vague language that I put in there about, you know, like prolonged impediment, things like that. Or do we just say that you can't do it, right? And I, I looked at other sports and how they handle it. USA Hockey has banned it. And I hear that the NHL, you know, is just kind of slow to pick things up, but they will. But it's like, you know, you all watch hockey. I've been watching the playoffs. It's just not something that happens in the same scenarios that we see it happening in polo, right?
1: Well, it's a lot less effective with two hands on your stick right
4: exactly you have that too but it's also just not advantageous for you as a defender you know because they want the ball what you'll see is like when there's like a chase down from a defender on you know the puck handler they'll get their their stick in there but they'll wave it laterally right mm-hmm. like at at ice level that's because they want to play the puck they want to get that puck away from that player and i see polo as the same thing like if your only defensive move in my opinion is to stop me from being able to do something because you're not close enough to get the ball, then you're stopping the game.
1: Isn't the objective of defense just like, you know, I guess it comes down to where that threshold is like what you said before. Cause I always go back to, I'm like, but that's what defense's job is, you know? And I guess it just comes well, down to like, how, how effectively do you want to allow them to, to do that?
4: Uh, well, defense's job, in my opinion, is to stop the ball from going into the net, not mm-hmm. to stop another player from, from playing bike polo. Right. And, and that's, that's my, that's my point of view on it. And I know that that's going to be divisive, Mm -hmm. but that is the lens that I was using when we looked at interference. Right. And these same arguments were brought up then, right? Like, isn't the point of defense to, you know, make their offense harder to run. And it's like, yeah, well, screens did that very effectively. (laughs) A prolonged hook is incredibly effective there's, there's been a few takes on the internet, which I I don't comment on these threads just because it's, it's not very fruitful, but I do keep my eyes on them just in case there is a perspective that I hadn't heard yet, you know, because that's important to me to like take all that, that feedback in, but somebody put it quite well when they said it can sometimes be a skill leveling move, right? Like any, anybody can hook if they're close enough to your mallet to do it. And it takes a lot of skill to avoid getting hooked, right, which is a a positive, of course, but it doesn't take, I think, a sufficient amount of skill to, uh, you know, essentially disarm your opponent for a a length of time that, um, you know, forces a mistake that objectively should probably not be made, right? Because you didn't have uh, an opportunity to to strip possession off of them, right? And that's what's happening in these other sports, right? The defensive plays are intended to regain possession of the ball, right? So first, the point of defense is to stop the ball from going in the net. And then the second point of it is to gain possession back, mm-hmm. right? And within that framework, the other thing that's important is ensuring that everyone has, you know, essentially free and open movement of their body to do the exact same thing. That is the the equity in any sport that I see as, you know, causing a lot of problems in defining rules. Every sport deals with that and you see stuff go called or uncalled and sometimes it's not illegal and people just consider it dirty. Like I, you know, I even took to to reddit unfortunately to like kind of get some uh, opinions from you know like players that play for a long time and in hockey uh, you know on the hooking issue specifically there was a mixture of people that were like yep it's it's legal so i do it and i know it's dirty but i do it anyway because it works you know Mm. and i feel like we're we're sort of at that point minus the dirty part because it, it doesn't feel dirty when you're doing it I still do it in tournaments, you know, but I'm kind of getting my money's worth out of it. While I think we still can, (laughs) you know, assuming that this referendum, you know, works, right? And that's why I wanted to propose this to be voted on is because I think this one does deserve a referendum the same way that interference deserved a referendum. Is this something that we think adds to the game or is this something that we think slows the game down? And, uh, you know, and then beyond that, potentially makes it more dangerous and, and the safety side of it is something that I want to dive into, but I thought I'd give you all a chance to, you know, ask questions or
1: respond to.
0: Yeah. To I mean, I think the rule, as you stated it, like hooking is not allowed, is very clear and we all know what a hook is when we see it. Can we, I don't can we think... clarify
1: that? Cause I've actually heard people discuss this a little bit. Like I think nobody is saying, you know, the move where two mallets get hooked, like they're stuck on each other. Yeah. And someone like tries to rip the mallet out of the other person. No one hand? wants that. I don't think anyone's saying that should be allowed, right? No. Okay. I just, I just okay. want to make sure, like, if, if you think that's allowed, then, you know, <laughs> people, email yeah, the podcast and wars. we can talk about that separately, but like, no, one likes I mean, there are, war. yeah, there are, there, there are, are definitely people that like that. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. But I, but I think that I don't, at least Gavin, I don't think any, any of us on this podcast are advocating. No, that. Definitely. I'm
2: like,
0: not. I don't know. Maybe Liam is. Yeah.
2: I think it's funny because then you yell Yarmus from the sidelines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is a good hack. Yeah. Go. <laughs> no, I don't think it even is. But I mean, like getting that mallet head on their shaft and pulling their mallet backwards. I mean, we've seen that. We know what that is. That's hooking, right?
1: I mean, Tex is the master and reigns over Northside's region with the mallet hook. This
0: is probably why Ottawa Bike Pull is so against the thing because everyone loves the style of Alexis. I'm curious, like, I'm just thinking how this is going to affect gameplay. I'm thinking, like, if no one can hook me, I'm going to be...
1: Especially as a lefty.
0: As a lefty, (laughs) yeah. I can protect the ball with my body so well as a lefty. Like, I'm not going to pass as much. I'm just going to hold the ball because it's so much harder to take it from me. And passing is a risk in a turnover. That's really interesting. And especially with some of the mallet interference things, it's already hard to take the ball from me. It's going to be even harder to do that. And so I'm going to look for even more opportune moments to shoot and being even more conservative or just possess that's my personal like what I was thinking I was going to do and I'm like whoa this is actually kind of a buff for my play style
4: you know, it's, it's funny because I feel like, uh, you know, I, I have a lefty in my club, Jenny, and when we were talking about this, she was upset because she really likes to hook as a lefty because your mallet side is matched up with righty's mallet side. And mm-hmm. so I, I actually don't think that it incentivizes you to, to possess, right? Because on that side, you're even more exposed when like-handed people are side by side. They're always shielding. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, depending on the side that they're on. And so really like, it, I I'm interested that, that you look at it that way. Just um, most
0: righties don't know how to get you on your bad side. That's why they hate lefties. Oh, that's why we well, yeah, Cause we're yeah. bad at it. Like hundred yeah. percent.
1: It's yeah. probably worth noting that Jenny is like a self-proclaimed defensive first player. And I think she's, commenting at that from like a very defensive perspective of it's really hard for her to play defense with you know the hooking rule like it defensively i think it is a nerf for lefties probably yeah but i think gavin being a very offensive minded offensive minded player is looking at it purely from a, a ball dominant offensive player it could be a buff
4: right and and i just want to point out too that combined with the mallet interference stuff like you you can still, you know, stick check and, and, you know, and then try to go for the ball. And if your stick check turns into a hook, right. Because uh, from, up, from up on the ref stand, like if, if it's a, a near hook, right. Like if you're in that like bottom inch before the mm-hmm. mallet head, you know, th- that is going to be impossible to see. And so it's, that's why the language about what happens after that is what's so important and that's why excluding player moving their mallet in a way that causes their own mallet to become hooked is is crucial here because hooking will still happen and that's okay because you're going to attempt a stick check the reason that i think it needs to be outright banned as an intentional thing right the the key word in a lot of these rules is initiates it's whoever is initiating the contact mm-hmm. right the situations that it helps you avoid are an offensive player has like clearly deked or beaten a defensive player. And then they have that desperation move where they try to hook your mallet and this, the skill that it takes to not get hooked. There's this point in time. and, And this happens to me a lot, right? Like it's something that I've had to practice for years now because I am trying to avoid the hook. I always end up getting hooked on my hand inevitably like mm-hmm. I'd say 80% of the time now like it ends up on my hand which is illegal and it never gets called it never ever gets called because it's impossible to see as the referee and this is a problem. And again, I'm not using my own personal experience. Like other people have validated this as well. People who are incredibly skilled with their mallets have said like, yeah, like whenever someone tries to hook me, it ends up all over my arm or my leg or, you know, wherever, especially that one like reach around move, like behind somebody's yeah, like, like butt. And they end up just waving their mallet around and, and then trying to hook and, and like that kind of stuff. It's just like, it's impossible to see as the ref if somebody's leg gets hit with a mallet. and that's the point of this rule right like everyone thinks about the direct impact on what is being banned and what i would make the case for are all these indirect things that get eliminated from the game by implementing this rule right you get Mm -hmm. rid of that stuff
1: i guess but in in that vein that kind of encompasses all of my fear about this rule and especially introducing this rule at the same time as increasing the uh the fouling out like the the penalty accumulation rules is that if this is already something like you said that's illegal but never gets called i worry that this is also stuff that is also never going to get called right like it's it's we're already in a place where this is illegal and hard to see and hard to call and i worry that with uh more consequence on the whistle refs are either going to just swallow the whistle in 50 50 things where they're not absolutely sure and then we're going to actually see more potentially more contact which is obviously the opposite of what like it, the opposite of the oh, desired how effect getting
0: more contact from a hooking ban an outright ban i feel like the outright ban is pretty simple and easy to ref. i i
1: guess like well i i guess the situation i worry about is when you have two players you know the thing i've heard described a lot is sword fighting you know when you get the balls between two people and they just kind of start jamming their mallets at each other yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. going everywhere and it's like i i think nobody really likes that but I don't know how you call that as a ref. Like if there's two players, like maybe someone goes for the ball. I had an, I had a weird one with Dan in rumble where I definitely shamelessly tried to hook his mallet. Cause it was still legal. And I think I reminded him that this was a low skill, uh, F, low skill play at the time. So I like <laughs> lifted his mallet up and was like, just, just a friendly reminder. This is a low skill defensive maneuver. Um, But then the ball rolled on my side of the bike. And then he just like turned my hook into his hook and was like, just a reminder, this is a low skill defensive maneuver. We're right back in your face. And we kind of depth. just went back and forth, hooking each other's mallets as the ball rolled between us. And I and it just, in that moment, I was like, I have, I'm 100% sure a ref would blow the whistle in that spot. And I have absolutely no idea who it would be on.
0: It'd be on you. You well, initiated it,
1: it. Yeah, but like, right. I initiate, but like, I like poke checked him and kind of lifted it. And then uh, he held on to my mallet.
4: I mean, that's what coincidental penalties are for yeah. and and a rejoust. And that's it, it that, like, not that exact situation, but, you know, first of all, I have a video of exactly what you just described uh, from the uh, I don't even want to name what tournament because it doesn't matter. I'll just describe the situation. <laughs> yeah. But basically, um, there's a, a player that gets loose with the ball and they they make their first touch to push it forward in front of them. Right. And, a de- and they're both right handed. The defenders on their right side and the is about a half bike length behind, right? Like their front wheel's aligned more or less with their rear wheel, you know, and maybe even a little further behind. That player reaches their mallet out and goes for the hook, and it, smartly, the, the offensive player lifts their mallet up sort of mm-hmm. like to their left, like to keep it away, right? And that player simply just follows it, puts <laughs> their mallet in, above that player's, handlebar space right like Mm -hmm. their cockpit and is just waving it near their face right and they're going for the mallet and they're being careful not to hit that person in the face but meanwhile the ball is slowing down and it's sitting there between the two players and this player is still playing the mallet and i'm just watching this and i'm like you could have it you could have the ball and pull it to your mallet side and that player would have No chance at gaining possession again, but Mm -hmm. you're so dead set on stopping this person from making a move that you've lost sight of, you know, a a better play, like objectively a better play, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, and that's where I think that I wouldn't worry so much about more penalties being called. I think that, you know, the whole point of this is that it acts as a deterrent, right? And when you basically say, like, You know, you can't do stuff like that where you're waving your mallet in somebody's, you know, above their handlebars, like that's high sticking now, you know, in in this proposal, the rest of high sticking isn't changing just that. Right. And, you know, it's just when somebody's trying to hook above the handlebars, because that's when you see mallets coming loose in weird ways and hitting people in the upper body, you know, potentially face that sort of thing, you know, and. If people just aren't doing it, the instances of it happening are going to become even more obvious than they are now. Like I agree with Gavin that a clear hook is already really easy to see Mm -hmm. as a ref. And when it's happening less, it's going to be even more obvious. And so if rules are a deterrent, I wouldn't worry about it happening as much because typically now when it happens, assuming people abide by it, it's going to be incidental and therefore not a penalty, right? Like a hook that happens is going to be accidental. It's going to be from a player moving their mallet that it, it gets caught up, which you see that happen all the time with other things, too. You know, you see it with, uh, you know, with handlebars and, and mm-hmm. other things like that.
1: So accidental hooks aren't there's no there's no penalty for like the accidental stuff.
4: If, if you were making a, like if you were attempting to grab the ball and so was the other player and you ended up getting hooked just because of like your mallet ended up hooking their mallet because of the way they moved to, to gain possession, Mm -hmm. that would not be a penalty, right? There's always going to be incidental contact that happens, you know, and everyone has the right to free and open movement. And and so the the point of that is now what do you do? Right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's not a penalty then, I mean, if you keep hooking and you pull now it becomes a penalty. Right. And so, again, that seems like a fairly easy threshold to see as a referee, you know, because you already know that the first contact wasn't a penalty. So now you're just watching to see what do the players do now? And that's often, you know, what I'm doing as a referee.
0: I love that you didn't half ask this rule, if I'm being honest. I think mm-hmm. the out-rate ban is so much better than the half ban when it comes to this, because it's just going to be so much simpler for people to understand um then you can hook here 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 but you can't hook here here or here and exactly that's yep. i think just good rule writing thank you um <laughs> appreciate it but even though you don't love the rule right no no i'm it's, totally it's, against it's, the rule let's be honest Don't yeah. <laughs> yeah. over at yeah. all here joe uh that's very even though reasonable. i don't know if it like ben- i still think it might benefit me the rule but like uh, i don't know i just Gavin doesn't I play defense
1: anyway. That's what Liam and I are for. I don't,
0: when I'm playing D, I don't even tap mallets. I always go for a hook because I know it's not a slash. Like this is how I've made my game work. I'm like, if I can control and hook, I'm definitely not slashing. So this right. is a conscious effort I made yeah. so that I would never be accused of slashing.
1: And I just, I want to also address like some of the things I've heard a lot of people saying like, this is essential, this is essential. Half the things people have told me is an essential part of bike polo is slashing. And that's already illegal. And I hope you get called on that if you do that in a game. Yeah,
0: the whole slashing thing is rampant.
1: Like I've heard a lot of people say, because this this rule is summarized as mallet on mallet. Not all mallet on mallet contact is allowed, right? No. And I'm also not in favor of the hooking ban, but like I'm not proposing we go back to legalizing
0: all mallet on mallet contact. Like I'm not a a barbarian. That'd be wild. We should talk about (laughs) mallet interference though, because when I read the rules, this is the one that confuses me more than the mallet hook. Um, Mm -hmm. because some, obviously some mallet on mallet play is going to be still legal. How much is going to be legal and in what situations is the more challenging part. So Joe, why don't you just like run us through the rule basically, and what's going to be legal and what's not going to be legal just to clear that up for people, because I've seen so many people confused.
4: Right. There were, you know, a few revisions that I went through for this and, you know, I had already looked at, you know, putting a timer on it the same way that we do ball jointing. And that was clearly not sustainable, you know, and, and we also looked at, okay, well, like, uh, you know, number of uh, touches on a mallet, and that's also not sustainable, because how is a ref going to call that? And so the easiest thing to do, again, is following the play, right? What does the player do after the mallet contact? And what was the point of the mallet contact? And, And this is like, It's kind of funny, like in other sports, they don't really need a rule like this because, again, there's just sort of a code amongst the players of like, what's the best play and we're all going to play that way generally, right? Like at at the professional level. And, you know, somebody brought up hockey and how, you know, when you're uh, playing, you know, like player to player defense, you know, you're taught to like play their stick. Right. And that's because everyone's entitled to their space. Everyone's entitled to their physical space and you're jockeying for position. Right. And again, you're tying up their stick, but I'll reiterate again, those players wear full pads and have face cages sometimes, you know, and, uh, and gloves and, uh, and can turn around and move quickly laterally and things like that. The reason that this needs to be spelled out so literally is just because of this lack of an understanding, like a shared understanding that we have across regions of what's the expectation here, right? And interference had these same objections. People were like, well, I I just don't know what kind of screen is legal or not legal
1: people still don't know
4: and people still don't know but it's it's and and i uh, you know but it is one of those things as well where you know people say but then once i started looking for it you know you kind of know it when you see it and i feel like this is going to this could be a similar situation and so what i'll say is like similar to hockey i think it's okay to jockey for position when you're on the ball right like you can prevent a player from playing the ball by owning your space right mm-hmm. so you can put your stick in the way right like this is the whole thing about like blocking a backswing i think you can do that as long as you're close enough to the ball right like you can block a backswing as long as you're essentially you're not beat as long as you haven't been beat as a defender you can play that stick because you're going to be close enough on the next action to attempt to gain possession right And so this was the simplest way. It's a hard concept to grasp, I realize, but this was the simplest and most enforceable. And what I felt like was the the truest to the spirit of the game, which is, you know, there's going to be mallet contact. You can tap a mallet, but during that interaction, your next move needs to be an attempt to play the ball as long as, you know, the player that, that you were playing against didn't move the ball out of your proximity, right? So essentially, mallet play is is legal to a certain extent, not that like sword fighting that you described earlier where people, the ball's there, but they're not playing it. You know, mallet contact is fine with the ball if the ball starts in proximity to to both those players, if that makes sense.
1: So one of my favorite things to do on defense is to just, especially against uh, newer players, because I think it's a good challenge for them, but it's also a good challenge, even competitive games sometimes, is to sort of like you're saying control the space so like especially with a newer player i'd love to just like hold my mallet out over the ball ask the question or give them the puzzle of like how do i play this ball with this mallet in the way without hopefully without slashing it because i think a lot of newer players that's their first instinct is like oh this mallet's in the way let me just hack that out of the way and then and then go for it but like how how would that get handled under the new rule
4: you know, again, it's like I, I hate to keep bringing up hockey, but it's like you see players typically, you know, swing at the puck, and mm-hmm. and the mallet or the stick contact is incidental as a result of that, right? Like sticks are always hitting each other in hockey, but they're waving their stick at the puck generally, you know. And I realize there is some other stuff, but there's rules against like butt ending and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So when you're holding your mallet over the ball like that. You know, same idea there at me as a defender. What I'm going to try to do is if I'm close enough to touch the ball, I'm going to anticipate your move and get my mallet in the way of whichever direction I think you're going to push the ball to.
1: Oh, sorry. This is as a defender. I like to hold my mallet over the ball.
4: Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah same thing. So then as an offensive player, you know, same thing, I'm going to try to anticipate when you're going to make the poke check at the ball mm-hmm. and I'm going to time my, maneuver you know to counter that essentially um i want to get that ball away from you as fast as i can you know and so yeah holding your mallet over the ball i think is totally fair would still be legal obviously you know and is uh you know that's a that's a good move i would also just like i would posit like why aren't you if you if you can hold your mallet over the ball why aren't you trying to get it
1: well a lot of the times because like the player with the ball they move slower, right? You're able to accelerate faster as a defender. So a lot of the times it's like, I may not physically be able to reach the ball when I start to reach out to hold my mallet over the ball, but I have a higher closing speed. So I'm able to yes. then get on top of it and regulate my speed with the break to then control the space over the ball, which is, I realize it's like kind of a gray area. You under just take the rules.
0: ball, Alex. What are you doing?
1: <laughs> well, especially if they've wound up, like if they, if they're on the backswing, it's like, I would, I'm trying to get in the way of the backswing first so that they don't have the opportunity to get the shot off. And then, which I think is against the rules under this new, like that would be considered malad interference. If I'm like closing from behind. this is one I wanted to ask Joe.
0: I think you're getting on it. This is the one I've heard talked about probably the most is I've been beat. Okay. They're in front of me. They're playing the ball in front of their wheel. I can't reach it, but I'm kind of, you know, by their rear wheel with my front wheel. They go to take a big, juicy swing at the ball, and I just put my mallet where I know they're going to swing. Like, I know this is where the shot they're going to swing through to hit the ball, but I'm not initiating contact with their mallet. They are when they bring their hand through to take the shot. However, I'm not close enough to play the ball. What is totally? This?
4: Yep. So in this case, uh, you know, again, in this specific case, initiating isn't the word. Uh, The words in the rules are impede the movement of an opposing player's mallet. Mm -hmm. And so what I but I'll tell you, I think that that's legal. You have to judge the velocity at which you're moving and know that, okay I'm moving at such a speed that after I block their swing, I'm in proximity to the ball to make a play on the ball.
3: right? Right.
4: That's that's all it's about. Right. So that is totally a legit defensive play it's the ones where it's like, like you're, you're a bike length behind, right? There's like a gap between mm-hmm. you and you see the backswing and you just get your arm out as much as you can to try to block their swing. Right. But they, th- their next move is going to be just collecting the ball or, or shooting again.
1: But if I'm closing with more speed and I block the swing like that, is that not a play on the ball? Cause like, I'm trying no, to play I, the ball I, as a defender, right? It's just like that, one tap and then I'm trying to go for the ball.
4: Right. It's just about proximity. It's about yeah. proximity and velocity. I think, I think that's a fair play. Like if you're, if your next move, you know, can be like within, cause that's an interaction, right? Like you blocking the swing and then trying to get possession or blocking the next swing, you know, like by putting your mallet head down, because like, that's how I play defense too. You know, it's like, like first get the front wheel, right? Yeah. Like if mm-hmm. I'm on the yeah. left of a right-handed player and they're heading towards net for a forehand, like I want to be, in front of that shooting lane. And I put my mallet down in front of the ball, you know, yeah. so like same thing where you were saying, you, you, you know, you like keep your mallet near or above the ball. I do the exact same thing. I'm anticipating the angle at which that ball is gonna come off the, the mallet head. And so that's gotta be your next opportunity, right? If you can block that backswing and then at least try to grab the ball you know, even if you don't succeed, that is still going to be legal, right? Okay. And and there's going to be gray area here, you know, just like there is with interference, because this happens sometimes, you know, where it's like, you come out of an, an encounter, and you and you're pedaling and you find yourself in front of a defender, and they have to slam on the brakes. And you're like, Oh, shit, I just obstructed, <laughs> you know, like that happens. And it technically, is both legal and illegal, right? Because there's not enough time for you to have like it potentially been anywhere else, but you know, it's also like you impeded their forward movement, right? Mm. So it, gray area, I and like, this is a really important, you know, philosophy that I have when I think about rules is that gray area is okay. You know, you see it in every other sport as well. I wanna spell out everything as literally as possible when you can, but like I mentioned, Earlier in the podcast, when you write everything literally, all that does is leave all these loopholes for people to get around because they're like, "Well, that thing that I did
0: wasn't literally
2: that thing that you
4: described." Yeah, you know, like the lobster trap. Like, like <laughs> oh. exactly like the lobster. We trap. have
0: to ask. Oh we have- well, we'll get to that at the end yeah. because I mean, yeah. I read the rules, and let me tell you, even in the proposed <laughs> rules, no. Uh-
2: Just <laughs> well, a time yes. check though. We're at we're already at our half. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know so. How long
0: Let's all uh, right, only
1: seven and a half hours more, baby. Let's go.
0: I we we knew this would be a long one, <laughs> yeah. I want to yeah. give uh one more just little question around this, and then we can move on to the lobster trap and we can finish on that. Okay, Liam?
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't, I we've, we've talked about the lobster trap at length on the show. I don't know. We, we have to continue,
0: <laughs> it's our thing. Okay, well, not right. our <laughs> thing, it's Ashwin's thing and Brandon's thing, but um, it's everyone's thing now. Yeah, true. Everyone loves the lobster the trap, following. belongs
1: to the people. Uh, exactly. Unless it's not yeah, a part of the game anymore, in which case it doesn't belong so to the
0: people. The wording on the examples here that you give in the proposal, um, it talks about like examples of impediment include, it just says like multiple movements such as slashing, obviously, but tapping or lifting. So the key there is that they have to make a play on the ball. In between? Within that interaction. Or can right, I do like, multiple you, taps and then make a play on the ball? Or like... This is the question, but the multiple and
4: yep. And this is going to be subjective. And again, I think that's okay. Right. Like this is again, that, that example I gave of that player, like waving their mallet around in the handlebar space, like they had an opportunity to play the ball and they chose not to take it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is a bit subjective on the referee, but what I'd say is like, you can tap a mallet, you can tap a mallet twice and then make a play on the ball. If you don't succeed at getting it, I'd say it's sort of the the counter, the the you know the conceptual counter has reset. If I'm refereeing that, and I'm like, okay, now you can tap the mallet again, right? Because you're still in essentially uh, like more or less a scrum, right? Yeah. Like for the ball. And so like scrums are are fine. Like that stuff is okay, you know as long as you're trying to, you know, frequently get the ball throughout it, you know, and you see this stuff happen all the time. And usually what happens after like somebody fails to get it the first time is then they fall back on the hook. Right. And, and like, that's a very common thing, even amongst like skilled players is like, they're like, okay, well, if I can't get the ball, like now, now I'm going to go to my next
1: move. (laughs) Now neither can you.
4: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and so like, that's, and and again this is you know it it really doesn't matter it it is a stylistic thing like some people like it as players i just think that in the interest of like a flowing game that that is not desirable to see that happening all the time especially around the boards you know that, that happened in the in the the game uh that i was watching last night uh there was uh they were just trying to like end out the period and the ball got pinned against the the boards and all the players just came in and shoved their sticks in and their skates and were just like jabbing them and it, and the the crowd is just like booing you know because it's <laughs> yeah. lame it's yeah. lame to watch that but yeah. they like the, the the team that was on defense was just trying to kill clock you yeah. know and so it's strategic in that case. And it's like, and basically, you know, the refs finally blow the whistle after it's like crossed over the threshold that reaches, you know, whatever invokes a drop, uh, uh, you know, a drop puck there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's.
1: It's kind of akin to our pinning rules, right? 100%. Yep.
0: So, okay, perfect. Yeah. I think that's, you've made this a lot clearer for me and everyone who's listened to this, Joe, and I've <laughs> taken multiple exhales of relief my nightmares won't haunt me tonight about not being able to hook people well those will still be there but um i mean lobster trapping it's definitely
1: more clear it's still i guess it really comes down to the execution and like i just my fear is that if these rules go through we're in for another like eight years kind of like with obstruction i feel like the first god the first few years of obstruction it was a lot of like
0: I'm here for it though.
1: Whatever ref, like, you know, there was a decent like half the time you get a ref that just wouldn't call anything, and half the time you get a ref that would call a whole bunch of stuff that.
0: But think about how much better the game is now that we've gone through those eight years. Like, this is the counter argument, right? Yeah. I I way prefer playing in a world where I don't have to worry about getting like blocked out of nowhere when I don't have the ball. Um, Yeah,
1: but I think the I think the difference between obstruction and hooking is that. I know you're saying it's like a skill leveler, but I actually think there's a lot, you know, we're t- we're seeing that elite level players go to their playing the ball with their wheel all the time. And I think that like there's a whole, there's a lot more room for counter play and room for the game to evolve with hooking as a part of
0: it. That just wasn't true for obstruction. Like I'm not, I'm not going to stand up and defend obstruction. I would be curious to see what obstruction would look like now that pivots are more popular. Mm -hmm. like that would be a skilled answer to a lot of obstruction perhaps right i don't know i mean
4: you you would you would need three referees watching because
0: there would be there would
4: be three groups of people riding around just like dolphin
1: slapping each other
0: you know and like and no one wants to see that i would be a
1: much better player
0: exhausting to be honest again to watch and play okay i've been put up to this oh sorry joe yeah,
4: I, well, I just want to I want to respond to that because I, I think it is, uh, you know, incredibly important. It actually didn't come up. And it's something that, you know, Gavin, you and I talked about, which is, you know, the options for the player who um, who is hooked. It, it's like this whole aspect of the game that is like interesting and like, you know, mm-hmm. like breeds creativity. And I would just want to say, you know, if you're going to make that argument about being hooked, I would say you could make the argument about not having the option to hook it will, um, basically, what what I'm hopeful for from this rule, like, this is what I'm hoping happens, is that it elevates everyone's defensive game. And we start to see new defensive tactics that, again, then, it's just like that cycle, you know, result in new offensive tactics, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think there's evolution that can happen from this. I think that a lot of people see a new restriction and they're just like, oh, you're removing something. And it's like, you know, sometimes this can actually like, just open up a new path, right? And so, you know, I don't disagree that, like, seeing a-, a wheel flick once a player's hooked is, like, really exciting and that that takes a lot of skill. But I would say if the amount of skill that it takes to counter a move is drastically higher than the <laughs> amount of skill it takes to do the defensive move, that means that that defensive move is overpowered. That's why we needed a crease. That's why we needed uh, the obstruction yeah. rule. You know, that's, that that's... is the the competitive equity aspect of rule writing and just like shaping the way the game is played. And I never want to like, take away, um, you know, players creativity. I want to encourage more of it, you know, and uh, if, if it sucks, like if the rule sucks, we'll, we'll get rid of it. Like, that's fine. You know, yeah. if it passes and it's terrible, like none of this is like etched in stone, you know, edits happen all the time and I don't even tell people because they're inconsequential, <laughs> you know, but it's like, there are people that would be mad at me, you know, for saying that they'd be like, well, you need to, you know, you're obligated to, you know, report everything to us, every minor difference. And it's like, you know, it, it, it gets worked out on the court. Are you the, the, the one who said would...
1: you're allowed to hold the top of the boards? Did you sneak that into an edit and not tell anyone? Cause I, that, def- uh, that definitely
0: that's caused a lot of drama. <laughs>
1: that i definitely noticed that as a new player this is a whole other side tangent Uh, but now it's not allowed who knows it's not allowed. but now it's it's been allowed it's not allowed it's been allowed i've had this like this discussion too is is it currently allowed just so listeners can know no
4: i don't think it's currently allowed see this is where like i all those little details if you would have asked me that four years ago i would have known but now it's like my my head is elsewhere so all i can say for that stuff is sorry. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Read know, the rule book. It's it, online, it, guys. It, it happens, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, now, like, definitely moving forward, um, we don't want people to be able to do that, you know. And, and so, yeah, the dabbing rule, if you want to get into it, we can certainly Absolutely. do that. This
0: is what I wanted <laughs> to get into because I wanted, I was looking when the proposed changes came out for lobster trap exclusions, right? Like, things that <laughs> made this illegal because as much as I love it, it's a menace um so the delay of game rule is where i thought i would find this right and it clearly says in it um you're shielding the ball with your bicycle or mallet while dabbed and that's the key phrase there because people would argue that while you're lots of trapped you're not dabbed so we have to go to the dabbed rule okay and this (laughs) one is very much the same it says if you're putting pressure on a on a horizontal surface that isn't your own equipment you're dabbed right and then it also says um a player's body cannot touch the ground goals or other players' equipment or bodies yet um, where is this? This is gonna get out of out right now
3: uh...
4: <laughs> I would just like to point out too that like that's the rule that made freedom blocks illegal, and yes. we never obviously called it, but they've been illegal the whole time.
0: I agree, you know yeah. well, only if you touch the ground, but they're legal now, they're legal now there's there's some parts here that right. say it's it's death. the freedom block is legal. It says that right here. I'm just trying to find yeah. the part where it says.
1: It's only legal if you say Falcon Punch.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, there's one part where it says they have to be in control of their bike, right? Cue, cue the Jeopardy music here. I yeah. know. Where I, I was going to say, we're sure really
2: burying I'm the sure league. It's under I think, delay of game. Yeah, I was
1: going to nope. say, I think Joe knows exactly what the question is. And the question is, <laughs> can you lobster trap?
0: Well, that's probably it. Let's be honest about that. Um, so, and it's. You know,
4: it, the language is in dabbing, um, where basically it says you need to remain in control of your bike at that's the part I was trying to find. Yep. Yeah,, and so, um and also uh, y- you need to maintain balance over your bike. Essentially, what those two uh, you know stipulations combine to mean is that you need to remain in a position where you can possibly move your bike. I would consider anything where you're on the court, uh and you can't move to be dabbed which is logical right like that's in the spirit of bike polo like if you're
0: just wait till you see the lobster trap shuffle
1: i'm just i was gonna say i'm just waiting for some flatland bmxers to pick this up and just blow our minds i think what we need
0: joe here's what i'm gonna advocate for can we just have the term lobster trap codified in the rule set as (laughs) illegal like i think ashwin would take that the length we need
4: well, when when you take over for me as rules director, <laughs> you, you can do whatever you, can enshrine,
2: you want. Enshrine Ashman's creation. I mean it's always been kind of it's always been kind of uh, unofficial, like there's the Gretzky rule and stuff like that. You know, what's the NHL. Gretzky rule? Oh um in NHL. Yeah, in the NHL. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's something to do with um offsetting penalties. There's a lot of weird rules in the NHL.
0: Well, yeah, I think we've gone long enough here. Joe's been more than patient talking to us and uh, listening to our strange questions and hypotheticals and wonders and quandaries. And uh, just thank you so much, Joe, you and all the other NIH executives for all the work you put into this and the game in general. Like We all owe you a great deal. And uh, even more thanks for putting up with an hour and a half of us just now. (laughs)
4: <laughs> Absolutely yeah and, and I, I really appreciate you know the engaged patient conversation. you know we, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it, but the reason that I don't engage on Facebook is simply because th- there isn't that level of respect there. And so what I would like challenge people that are listening to this to do is two things. One, when you're on threads like that on the internet, take stock of who else is uh, participating and whether or not they are similar to you in uh, you know any number of ways, right? Like what what is the diversity of this group that's speaking right now and whose voices are being heard right? The other thing that I would challenge people to do if they're worried about some of these rules is you know think about the players that you look up to and that you admire and want to emulate. And think about if they do these things that often, you know, and then take it a step further and go back and watch some of your favorite games and see what the occurrence of these things might be. And then ask yourself, you know, are these moves maybe holding me back from getting to that level that I aspire to be at? Or, you know, is this something that I think, uh, you know, I could evolve and become so good at that I would be able to beat players who aren't willing to do it? Because i think you know both possibilities are are there but it's really good to self-reflect that way and and kind of like you know start looking at you know your game uh you know in comparison to other people's game
1: yeah i mean facebook is literally designed to breed conflict like this right and to breed polarization and i think we've seen that happen over the past week and I would be a hypocrite if I didn't own the fact that I have contributed to that in no small part, (laughs) but uh, you know, it is, I, I, I think to add to what you said, like have conversations with people because it's different. The conversation online is very different than the conversation offline. 100 yeah. percent
4: yeah and you know and this is uh, you know a, a bit hypocritical as well but it's like you know on those threads it's like you know the loudest voices tend to hold the most sway you know, and, and similarly, I used to be one of those on league of bike polo, I'd be drinking whiskey at 11 at night and just, you know, and it's going off, on going off on somebody. And then, you know, like it, it would be validation if anyone agreed and it would, uh, otherwise I would end up probably like deleting my post and being like, yeah, yeah. I've changed my mind, you know, to like save face. And it's, and that's why i just don't do it anymore i talk to people and and uh, you know i engage in those conversations because you get a lot more done you know in those you know constructive conversations where there's like mutual respect and so you know if if you want to make a change do that ask questions instead of giving your opinion first and this is a, <laughs> i feel like a life lesson for everyone on the internet but it's like if you're coming into a thread hot and you just have a thought and <laughs> you haven't asked any questions, you, you know, you might want to check yourself. <laughs> so that's, that's it. Absolutely. That's my Ted talk.
3: <laughs> well
1: said, well said. Um, internet
0: etiquette is something yeah. we could spend all day on. As, as
1: load. content creators though, you know, we're just here for the likes. We're just here for that positive that validation that's that's the only reason this podcast exists (laughs) for Uh, i just want to stir up as much controversy as possible and put my name all over it
0: hot takes do (laughs) do get listens that's for sure and we try to steer away from that sometimes but steer into it sometimes too anyways thanks joe again we'll uh catch you on the court sometime soon i'm hoping awesome feel free to like trim out at least half of this
1: oh i do have to ask (laughs) i i have to get this on the record how much of the hooking rule change is a result of my defense on you from Fresno? Because I, I remember just hooking you the whole game.
4: No, no offense, 0%. Oh. <laughs> I no,
1: say already it with offense. I've been telling people, mind. I've been taking credit for this announcement like oh all week.
0: Yeah, I'm the Kermit they're trying to I'm I'm them. literally
1: the reason. I'm like, you know, every time you hear him allude to players, it's me. That's what I've been telling people.
0: Oh, stop. You know, there are a few players
4: that stick out to me, and uh, unfortunately, you're not one of them, but I'll take note next time.
1: Sorry,
2: dude. (laughs) Wow, Joe.
1: Dang, that was (laughs) uh, a lengthy discussion, and I feel like we could have kept going for
0: another, I don't know, five hours. He didn't win me over on hooking. I'm going to be honest with you. He did not win me over, but you know what? It's okay. I honestly, the way the rule is written... I'm really happy that it's like an all or nothing kind of thing. Like we're either going to have hooking or we're not, and it's not going to be some halfway. Cause I think that would be probably worse.
1: Yeah. I mean, we kind of got into it and discussed some of our feelings. I, this podcast is already long enough, but I think there's some fundamental misconceptions a lot of people have about how officiating should work or the type of questions we should be asking and things. And having talked to Joe for that long, I think we're in really good hands, even if I disagree with him on certain issues.
0: There we go. And that's really the the point I, I make too. Like I, I didn't agree with him on every rule, most of them, but not every single one. And that's, but I okay. disagree with
1: almost every rule in this. <laughs> like I, I actually like, I keep, I keep trying to find positives that I can latch onto. And it's like, they're just not there for me. Like, I think the intent is good, but I, I don't even think this is going to have the desired effect. I think it could be the opposite. And if, if that's the case, I think most of these rule changes are just awful. And, but that's just, you know, like I, I, having talked to Joe for this long, I think we know where they're coming from. And even if they're not going to work out as intended, um, you know,
0: Well, it all remains to be seen. It all remains to be seen. I mean, we're not going to know until we see how it's played. And I'm looking forward to playing in those tournaments, hopefully, where these rules are enacted. Why don't we um, jump to that part of the show that people are probably wondering when we're going to get to.
2: The mailbag. Mailbag. Uh, We've got some emails from both Bretts and one Sophie. We're going to start with Brett number one from Montreal. And he writes uh, you dear to
1: hear first confirmed Brett from Montreal greater than Brett <laughs> that's from not St.
2: what I Louis. mean. Brett from St. Louis. Liam said you can it. both be okay. Fine. We'll go back to being your Brett from Montreal.
1: He <laughs> Brett writes <number> one. <laughs> he writes. <laughs>
2: I'm going to hear about that now. Dear Diego, Chris and Pete. I uh, just want to say thanks for being the best and only bike polo <laughs> podcast out there. Keep up the good work. If it weren't for you guys, I probably wouldn't even play.
1: You're no uh, longer the number
2: one Brett. Love Brett from Montreal. Yeah, you've been demoted now to Brett number three.
1: <laughs>
0: Why are we
2: getting hate mail like this? I mean, did you forward did... this? I think I have. We, we should forward that to their email.
1: Yeah, I did uh, put a call out last episode for people to... Email email them and let them know how much they love our podcast. So I guess <laughs> I guess this is just uh, yeah, getting back. up my just desserts.
2: There so. we go. Thank you, Brett. Uh,
1: <laughs> I I too enjoy before the joust podcast. They had Shelly on this week and it was
0: incredible. Mm-hmm. That was a great one. Made me think about some things. I'm definitely going to keep my mallet down more on defense.
1: Well, you better not because if you if you accidentally get caught up in the offensive oh player's gosh. mallet, it's going to be a penalty. That that was one of the questions I had is like, how do you keep an active mallet on defense? It says what about you the taking perp- Never notes? mind.
2: Okay, let's move okay. on. <laughs> too much rules talk. Our next email comes from Sophie, also from Montreal. She writes over the weekend. This is talking about um, Rumble of River, I guess. My over teammate the, over the weekend. Oh, that's right. Yeah. On the, sorry, <laughs> take it again. Over the weekend, I asked multiple multiple players how they found quote their thing by thing. I mean, are you a killer goalie, a scoop queen, or maybe a net slasher? The majority of answers I got were very similar. You you have to work on all aspects of bike polo, speed, tricks, scoops, slash, scoops are in there, yeah, as well as all positions on the court. None of these people I asked mentioned their strengths or weaknesses, nor a favorite position on the court. I didn't push my investigation further. I'm still very curious. The players that have been playing for years must know how they get perceived during games. They must know what their skills are, and my gut feeling is that they must be practicing some skills more than others and probably ignoring some other ones completely. So my questions for you are all, sorry, (laughs) so my questions for you are, do you know what's your thing? When did you discover it? Can an advanced player see these in newer players? Do you think knowing this thing earlier is an advantage or disadvantage? I notice it's not something we talked about, at least in our club. I definitely have these type of talks when I used to train with roadies and at the gym. Yes, I hate to admit I have some jock in me. <laughs> so, what's your thing? Yo,
1: know, this is a great email. Um, I wish Sophie asked me this. Well, like I'm glad she didn't ask it while we were playing at Rumble because we get to talk about it here. But I definitely would have gone on at length about this in Rumble because it's such a good question. Well, it's
2: yeah, I questions. think it's good.
1: It's four questions, but it's I... four good ones. So what's your, let's just, let's just start. What's, what's each of our things. Let's, let's take this in parts.
2: Dabbing is my thing. <laughs> <laughs> dabbing and crashing. <laughs> I guess goalie. I've been pigeonholed into the goalie. How did the you padlock. end up as a goalie, Liam? Uh, <laughs> we all know the story. I think you uh, played with
1: you. Had the misfortune of playing with Gavin when I,
2: when I had to play. Yeah. I had to, made a deep run in a tournament and then it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. You got to stay in net, <laughs> not turn the ball over.
1: <laughs> that's fine my, i think it like, might have also had to do with the fact that you just paid like clutch save after clutch save after clutch save like yeah yeah, so yeah
0: but i you didn't let know let what in, i was like, doing really it was just i played goalie for maybe all of that... like i played goalie for maybe all of eight minutes in that tournament and i think i let in more goals than you so <laughs> yeah either you were really messing up and giving them great shots or i was really messing up and not making great saves like one putting in two.
2: uh putting somebody in the net makes a difference yeah um but I wouldn't know if that's my thing. I don't know. Maybe my thing is uh weird
0: scoops around your front wheel.
2: I think other people need to tell you what your thing is. I, I think like,
1: Liam, your thing is goalie.
2: Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but like I was, we were at, a, or was it, I think it was at the, um, the first, or the cabana scoop earlier in April. And like, we were looking at talking about some players. And I think we were talking about, uh, maybe it was Tim from Detroit and how Tim, like he plays, he plays, doesn't play goalie, but he's like, he plays back a lot. He's happy to, to be back there. And he's like a facilitator role and i'm it's like yeah i think that's his thing from watching them play or um yeah lots of other players
3: yeah
1: i think i think a lot of the time people get like you get your thing because of the people you play with like a lot of ottawa players their thing is shooting a lot because the ev tremblay court rewards shooting a lot because it's short and bumpy and your passes are probably just going to be turnovers anyway so you end up like As someone who started playing in Ottawa, I shot a lot, like, more than other people. And then when I came to Toronto, they play on, like, a really long court where passing is really good. But Mm -hmm. I had all these habits of, like, get the ball. Oh, I'm close to the net. I'm just going to fucking shoot it from here. And then people were like, oh, you shoot a lot. So I guess that – I'm not going to say that's necessarily my thing, but it probably is at this point. Um, And I think that just has to do with, like, what
0: you're training in, what your environment is.
2: Your thing is breaking – carbon parts
0: <laughs> alex is weird i don't really know what alex's thing is i mean yeah he does maybe shoot more than most players and maybe better than some players but like he's a very well-rounded player in that sense fills in a lot of gaps what's that's your
2: thing gavin That's usually what i try to do what do you I would want us to tell you
0: my thing is probably what cringy, I'm celebrations. For is, <laughs> uh, yeah, cringy celebrations cringy celebrations <laughs> and probably just like ball handling just yeah. being I was like really good at maintaining possession of the ball and keeping the ball and moving quickly with the ball on defense. I'm definitely best at being like a one, like the person who harasses the ball carrier. Like part of that's just being left-handed, but also just being like quick and getting in there and good. But positional.
1: this isn't like one defined thing. Like, and I think to answer Sophie's question. So, you know, the boring answer is you have to be able to do everything. But I think there can be certain things that you enjoy doing more or you like, like I was thinking of it as like the green light. Like you have to be pretty confident to do the behind the back shot from your half of the court. But like if that's something like I practice that shit, which maybe I shouldn't, but like I do and I've scored those in Fresno. You know what I mean? Like people, you can keep them, you can keep that, those three up teams honest by being practicing those like quick shots Yeah. And then if you do that a couple times in tournaments, it becomes your thing because people think it's crazy. But really, if if it's an empty net on like a medium sized court, that's just it's a pretty high percentage shot. If you ask me, that's nothing really crazy about it. But a lot of people would disagree. So I guess that's something if I keep doing, I might become known for.
0: I would say knowing what your thing is early is can be an advantage and can be a disadvantage depending on how you treat it. Like if you have a natural talent for accurate shooting, if you're leaning on that all the time, you're probably going to be not as good as you could be because you're leaning on this crutch, right? I mean, I would recommend saying like, you know what, play some games and pick up where you just don't shoot so you can work on yeah. the other aspects of your game. And like, that's really important to be honest with ourselves about not only what our strengths are, but also what our weaknesses are. And try to over and try to figure out how we can plug those holes, because that's how you're going to be a strong competitive player, because at the top levels, players are looking for weaknesses to exploit. So if you have a glaring one, that's a huge problem. I
1: just realized if you asked me this question four years ago, I would have told you 100 with 100% sincerity that my thing was the scorpion sidewinder because i did that shot all the time
3: yeah
1: (laughs) that that that's where you like you tap it through your own bottom bracket uh the like the side shot i would circle and wait for that and line up the defender's bottom bracket with mine and i would go for like i would try to be odysseus and hit it through like four bottom brackets that was that was actually what i thought was the (laughs) best kind of offense and i did it all the time in tournaments yeah it's funny when i stopped doing that we started Doing a lot better in tournaments, yeah. Gavin.
0: Yeah. And I had to stop yelling at you as much. You're like,
2: stop
1: doing that. You're
0: on a breakaway. You don't <laughs> need to do that. <laughs> the, yeah, the goalie o- never the sees
1: it coming. They yeah. never see the Scorpion Sidewinder coming. There no in the goalie, Alex.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but your thing could also be a nice, uh, you know, doesn't have to be on-court skills. Could be off-court, you know, like yeah, totally. friendly, good recruiter. Your thing could be being an asshole. uh, You could
1: just heckle people all the time off the court, make them really insecure.
2: Don't discount the off-court skills as well, the soft skills. Good email writer. Yeah. uh, Good uh, compliment giver. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just going off right now. Honestly, I
1: think if I could pick the thing that I was really good at, it would be drop passing. If I could just be like so clutch at drop passing, like being able to fake it, being able to like hit a drop pass like anywhere that would be and it's not the most mechanically difficult but i think once you start layering the complexity with it like i think there's a lot of room to be good at drop passing
0: i feel like the the hardest part of drop passing is putting yourself in a position for the drop pass to be effective yeah like that like thinking and seeing the game in a way that you can set up the play so that your drop pass isn't only just giving possession to your teammate but it's giving possession to your teammate in a way that really pushes the advantage that you're making like you know what you're getting a big advantage from it
1: yeah you pull a defender and then you make the drop yeah
2: all right i got one more email to get to from uh newly minted brett number one brett from st louis and he writes brett here another great episode y'all i had to skip back a bit because there was so much good stuff on this one i wanted to comment on first off i know alex is doing the 26er thing quote for science but he (laughs) was a starkly different player at smack in the middle from when i saw when i saw y'all in Grand Rapids back in 2019. I know that's a lot of time to hone in skills, but he looked <laughs> amazing on the Enforcer. I personally can't, wow. wait, can't wait to get my 13. been sitting on some sweet 26-inch wheels and extra parts since October when my Dodici broke. Second, I cannot say enough about Aaron Hand's contribution to the community. An Enforcer is probably 90% of everyone's first real polo bike, and now the aluminum version is available at $350. US I think that number is just going to go up. Not the price, the, the 90%. <laughs> the people on. With, with inflation, <laughs> yeah. that price has
1: got to go up too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Third, I am really curious to see what contactless polo looks like. I'm still very into some very light shoulder bumping and buying for position, but doing away with checks sounds like a jam to me. I don't want to see any of my friends in the hospital. Fourth, of all the good or bad things I do on the court, I never expected anyone to compliment how I gather the ball off the boards. But the way I see it, very rarely can you make something good happen from the boards. So I think it's better to ensure you maintain possession and pull it back to the middle or dump it further into your defensive zone. Polo, like all other sports of its nature, favors the team that can possess the ball the longest. You don't, you can't score if you don't have the ball. Peace. Or, sorry, as always, great content. Peace. Brett Arnold from St. Louis. Thank you, Brett. That was a great email. Oh, yeah. Awesome um, email. Yeah, I was trying to remember, did we talk to Joe about The we didn't, did we talk about checking at all? Really, we didn't really
1: bring up the checking. He
2: does bring it up. He says some people
0: want this. Yeah, (laughs) it's
1: it's totally incongruous to me that. Oh, gosh, there are people still advocating that. Okay, like my whole point for checking, I'll give it in like two minutes here. Mm -hmm. It's that checking is already illegal, it's already illegal. Every single check that has been laid in the past like four years of competitive polo has been called a flagrant contact. If you actually deliberately check someone, you're going to get called for it. We just haven't included that in the rules, which kind of sucks, because I think it it's confusing for a lot of people. So we should just clarify that. And it's ridiculous that we're going to go to all these other things in the name of safety and try to make the game flow better, but we're going to continue to allow checking. I had this conversation with Mark from NAH at Rumble, and then poor Raf from Montreal, uh, we i played him in the game right away after that and he kind of like he, he did a dice like a 50 50 play and like i got mad and anyway i lined him up for a perfectly legal check and i just followed through with it and it felt so out of place in the game like i felt dirty after doing it i apologized to him he like it was just awful and that was a perfectly legal check
2: like I <laughs> were just, you gonna say I, he apologized to you
1: he actually did. He emailed yeah, me. And I'm after, like, oh, that's so Canadian of us, isn't? He it? sent me a message <laughs> after the tournament and was like, explained the play that he did, and he didn't think it was too dirty, and he was really sorry if he pissed me off, and I was like, dude, I just this was all after a perfectly legal textbook check because it's so out of place in the modern game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been playing for years without ever trying to create any body on body. Like, obviously, I take people's lines. Is yeah. How else would you play defense? And if they come at, like into me, like I'm going to stand still. Yeah, I'm not but... saying
1: there should be no contact in polo. Yeah. Like we can have contact the way there's contact in the NBA. You can you can take you can hold your line. You can fight for position, but there's a difference between the kind of contact as, that you see in the NBA and the kind of contact you see in the NHL, like in hockey. Yeah. You just well, it's like
2: the guy up. it's a lot of. I mean, not incidental, I guess, in Mike Polo, but it's a lot of you know, yeah, like people running into the defenders or whatever like it's it's not like aggressive pure aggressive action like it used to be like you know i'm thinking back as i always do to uh the means versus um absolutely clobber politics (laughs) some hard checks thrown in there and like yeah nobody wants to really see that
1: yeah like the perfect example is if someone with the ball tries to ride between me and the boards the correct play in bike polo should be to close the door before they get there and then if they crash into you it's a penalty on them technically the way it's written right now what the checking rule says you should be able to do is just hit them as hard as you can high and even when they go by and there's no place for that in this game and if you do it you're going to get a penalty every single
0: time and what's high and even when you're playing with people of all different body types on different size bikes with different wheel sizes it's just a myth like there's yeah. no such thing so and it
1: it doesn't matter like i I was having a conversation with Brett today, actually, and I found out I almost weigh 100 pounds more than Brett. I probably weigh 100 pounds more than Brett on my bike. And if I lean over, even if I keep my elbow in, it's just a different kind of it's a different kind of check. Like it just there's it's crazy. Like I just I can't be trying to hit him on purpose. That would be there's no such thing as a clean check in that situation. No,
0: no. Anyway,
2: we all agree with He uh,
0: raises a lot of good stuff here and like so many good points around things and honestly i think sometimes these fundamentals about grabbing the ball off the boards getting to the middle of the court and surveying your options just taking it slow and control is like something a lot of players could benefit from i see i've said this before in the podcast but like i see so many players get the ball and just try to sprint straight up the side <laughs> of the boards as fast as they can and it's just like where are you going Like to the corner you know <laughs> I, anyways, yeah, and one of my pet peeves
1: yeah and i gotta say thanks for the shout out brett you look Incredible in Fresno 2. It was inspiring watching Bug play. They're Bug are probably the most exciting team in North America right now. Team I Bug. Think. They're all good players, but the way they play together, they're greater than the sum of their parts, and it's so cool to watch. So if you ever get a chance to watch them play and they're playing all over the place, uh definitely do that. They're uh they're a super exciting team.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all. We finally threw the end of this podcast, two plus hours later. Shit. if you're still listening thank you so much on behalf of alex liam and me we really appreciate it why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review maybe write comment whatever they have on those platforms <laughs> you're listening to us on because that helps the podcast out until we see you next time though try to keep that rubber side down and you know keep your stick on the court okay not up in or someone's don't. face keep don't your stick keep on it. the court
1: you better not keep it on the court if i'm riding through because that's a hook and you're going to get a. Penalty. oh gosh keep your and mallet
2: that's on the-, the end of the podcast keep Bye your mallet now. on the court <laughs> That's like red-green from uh, <laughs> keep your stick on the ice. Keep your stick on the ice. If
1: your teammates can't find you handsome, they might as well find you handy. <laughs>
2: That's your life. Yeah. Yo, Goldilocks, where the crew. What's a boss supposed to do? Meet you on the polo court. You like YOLO, rock that sport. Take the mallet in your righty and the left squeeze, breaky, tidy. You are hot and mighty every Thursday nighty. Wheeling, jousting, 3v3. Come on, rip that PBC. Course I grab a brew. Let that conversation stew wonder where the cuckoo flew That bird up in Hillcrest is sometimes You're so much smaller.